am I ever going to get there? How am I ever going to make this work? I mean, it's such a big idea. It's such a big goal. I want to, I want to direct, I want to direct feature films, man. You know, I want to be telling stories on a larger scale. I want my movies on the big screen. That's all I think about. That's all I fucking think about. Anytime that I'm not talking, anytime that I have to stop, anytime I'm not listening to somebody and my brain, all I can hear is what's going on inside that fucking brain of mine. And it's always asking me, what are you doing? What are you doing to earn this? How are you getting closer? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? At the end of the day, do you have that, that moment where you're just beating the shit out of yourself emotionally? And you're like, what the fuck did I do today? What did I do today to get me closer? How many things did I get off my list? What does my list look like? This is a big part of my life. This has been a big part of my life for 19 years. Every day I wake up and I go, what the fuck have you done today? It sucks. <laughs> it does. And, you know, as I get older and as I progress a bit into it, I kind of give myself a break some days now, which is cool. I've been giving myself a break on weekends and I'm trying not to think about that, but it's true, man. It's just constantly there and we're constantly beating the shit out of ourselves with it. And I talk to a lot of you about it and some folks that are like, man, I just don't think I'm out for this. I don't think I can, I, I can do this. I've, all, I've been at it for about a year. I've been at it for two years. And it's like, man, strap in, man, because it's going to take a lot fucking longer to do it. And if that's the only thing that's going to make you happy, um, then it's just going to suck because you're going to beat yourself up and beat yourself up and you're going to become bitter and more bitter. Um, and I, I, I know what that's like because this business is unfucking fair It's just unfair, right? You do all this hard work. You learn these skills. You prove yourself. You fucking prove it to the people that are around you and you make something that's amazing and you're still coming down to that little thing that none of us can control, which is chance. Luck. Chance. Opportunity. And being at the right place at the right time. Right? Um, and so, it's, it's, it's kind of a crappy way to live. You know what I mean? And you can see it. You, I see it on actors, man. I just have so much fucking respect for actors. Because you're just... You're putting yourself out there and you're being judged. You're being judged physically. You're being judged the way you speak, the way you look, the way you move, your lifestyle. You're just being judged all the fucking time. And if your main purpose, if your main goal is to get to that point, and that's all you're doing every day is you're beating yourself up, I see how people get bitter. I see how people get disconnected from humans. You know what I mean? It's tough. Now, I'm not playing the whole fucking woe is me fucking thing. You know, it's a decision that I made. I decided to go down this path. I decided to pick something that was a little bit more difficult to do. And ultimately, something that doesn't have a roadmap. And if there was a roadmap, I mean, shit, man. I give you guys tips. Fucking a year goes by and those tips are useless. <laughs> the shit is consistently changing. 
We're literally standing on melting icebergs and they're just shifting all over the place. And we're trying to figure out our way across. We're trying to figure out our way to that end goal, right? So thanks for sticking with me, man. And I I love the fact that this show is all about us learning together, you know? And what I try to do in the show, I don't claim to be a fucking genius on this shit. I don't claim to know the answers that you need to do it. All I'm doing on this show is just trying to give you peace of mind, trying to give you a little reprieve from that bit that we all do. What the fuck have I done today? Right? And there's something really interesting in understanding that is more than just doing those stupid little tasks. It's more than just learning how cameras work. It's more than just learning about blocking. It's about living, right? It's about going out and experiencing things. It's about deciding to do different steps. And all these things that we are influenced by, all these experiences that we have further inform our stories, further lay themselves in like you would in a matte box with different filters. You have all these experiences that you're then able to put a story through, right? And I think that uh, this has been a theme that I've had on the show in today's episodes. Big into it, man. Today's episode's all about two things. One of my favorite things in the world, cinematography. Love fucking cinematography, right? We all know this. The art of telling stories with pictures. Fucking amazing stuff. But it's also about respecting respecting the path that you have gone through to get to where you are because that path shapes you as a storyteller right and today's guest uh is a great guest for that we talk a lot about that stuff we talk about cinematography we talk about the origins of his career in cinematography and we talk a little bit less about making pretty images on this show Uh, and we really sort of get into the emotions behind it we get into ourselves as humans. We get into the into the way we feel, man. And so, if you're in, if you're on this show, if you're listening to the show today, this is one of those "you're not alone" episodes. This is one of those, hey, man, you know, we go through this shit too, you know. And I'll get to a point where I have fucking David Fincher on this show. I'll make it work. And I tell you what, I'm gonna sit down with him. He's gonna say the same shit, right? Because we're all the fucking same. I mean, he's an amazing director and he's been doing it for a lot longer than I have and he's had better opportunities. Yeah, fuck yeah. I love him for all that shit. But guarantee you we're the fucking same. So, very excited. Very excited about this episode. But before I get into it, I just want to say to everybody listening, thank you for being here. For those new people that just showed up, thank you for coming along. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being a part of this. Being a part of this group. Thank you for being a part of my directors in a circle. Just being one of my pals. Right? That's what the show's about. The show's about giving you guys an opportunity to have access to me, giving the opportunity to have access to these other people that I get to meet, getting to learn with me, man. Because like I said, I don't have the fucking answers, guys. I don't. I don't know the fucking answers. <laughs> if I did, shit, man, it'd be boring. <laughs> At the end of the day, I wouldn't want to do it anymore. Not knowing is what makes it exciting. right? But I will tell you this. What I always wanted, you know, and when I was a kid doing this shit, I wished I wish that there were directors out there that were talking to me like this. I wish that there were people out there saying, you know what, man, I feel the same way you do. 
And you know, when you feel really fucking nervous, when you're looking at an actor and they're expecting you to have all the answers and you fucking don't know what that answer is, I feel that same shit, man. I mean, we were on that set for last week's episode um, on the Jennifer Gardner set and there was a pretty big director walking around and I, there was this, okay, look, there was this moment that happened on the set which I noticed as another director where uh, they're racing the clock, the sun's setting too quickly because it does this time of year. And he's got a pretty large crew. He's got like three cameras set up. And, uh, you know, he's behind Video Village. So he's he's distanced himself from the crew, from the team. And he's distanced himself from the noise that is at the front of that battlefield. Right? And so the crew's trying to move these cameras and they're trying to do this stuff. And the director's just, he's just looking at that fucking sun. He's looking at that sun just disappearing behind that mountaintop. And all he sees isn't that beautiful fucking hazy fucking look that's happening. He's just watching all his coverage just get fucking cut away. Cut away. And you see him and he just jumps out from behind that tent. And he goes over and he talks really quickly to the camera people. And he's like, can we just get another shot here? And the team's like, oh yeah, we're trying this fast. And they're all trying to hustle. And he just turns around and he, he doesn't let anybody else see it. I saw it because I knew what I was looking for because I fucking know what he's feeling, man. And he has this moment where he's just like, for the love of God. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a dude on a big shoot, man. Big budget. Millions of dollars, right? And even he turned around and went, for the love of God. For the love of God. Can I please just get... God damn it. You know? We all feel that. We all fucking feel that. That's what this show's about. So welcome. Welcome to the show. We'll all talk about that shit. Uh, thank you for following us on Instagram. That's uh, at Mike Petchy on Instagram. That is my personal. It's my personal Instagram page. No big deal. There you can uh, check out all my cool stuff. I really don't do cool selfies. I should. Maybe I should start doing the selfie shit. <laughs> and being one of those assholes that's uh, making duck faces in front of something beautiful. Filling most of the frame with their fucking face. Maybe I should start doing that more. But I do do that other asshole thing where I post a lot of the food that I eat. Yeah, I'm one of those jerks. So if you want to go check out my sweet barbecue, you want to check out the hobbies that I do to keep myself sane, besides this podcast, besides filmmaking, at Mike Petchy. You can also reach out to me there. We can talk about stuff. You can also follow the podcast, right? So podcast Instagram page is at in love with the process P-O-D. That's in love with the process P-O-D on Instagram. The page is private right now. Because I want you motherfuckers to follow us. So if you go there and you're like, oh my God, it's private. Should I send an invite? Are they going to say yes? Send an invite and see if I say yes. Try it out. See what happens. Uh, We're also uh, very excited about our Reddit, our subreddit that we have set up. Uh, Liam, what's the name of the subreddit? R slash in love with the process. Liam's running it. I think we're doing stuff on uh, Wednesdays. We're going to have question and answers on Wednesdays after the show. And then Thursdays, he's also going to have a suggestion period. This is, here's, here's the reason why we're doing it, right? Because uh, I've been constantly dealing with Instagram and trying to talk to you guys with that. But it's a really shitty fucking platform for it. Um, it's a lot easier for me to communicate with you guys for us to have a social like, discussion on Reddit, on, on our subreddit. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to open up this group a little bit we're trying to open up our discussion amongst ourselves and see what you guys are talking about see what the issues are hey man it helps me as much as it helps you because i'll give you guys feedback we'll throw some stuff at you we'll try to answer some questions on the show 
But more importantly, I start to hear what it is that you guys are fucking dealing with, right? What's going on? Because shit changes, right? Like I said before, we're on an uneven planet. Everything's changing. Especially out here in California. It was a fucking earthquake the other day. Excuse me. Um, anyway, ranting and raving and burping. That's me. So let's get to today's show. Super, super excited to have today's guest on, cinematographer Oren Sofer. Now, I met Oren uh, through a buddy of mine, Dan, who's another director, um, and they've worked together. Um, and this was the first time I've met this guy. He actually showed up to the house, uh, got ready to do this podcast, and him and I hit it off really quick. Really cool dude. We got deep really quick. He's, he's very approachable. He's very much a sharer. He respects the show for that. was very excited to be on the show for it. And I was happy to have him, man. Really cool stuff. I will put a link to his stuff below the show so you can go check out his work. His work is fucking gorgeous. He does amazing images. Shoots really great, really well thought out, really well planned stuff. All of his inspirations come from the same inspirations that I have. I'm sure a lot of the same inspirations you have. He's a fucking Spielberg nut. He loves that shit. And he's very fucking talented, man. Comes from the commercial world. Comes from the short films world. Also has done a few feature films. Um, and uh, he has got nothing but big things ahead of him. So, great guest for this episode. Super excited to have you guys. So let's just get right into it, shall we? You know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones. Find a beautiful place to sit in. Find a spot in your house or on the bench in the park, or on the back of the bus, where the lighting says something to you, where you feel good, right? Find that spot, feel good for a minute, look around and assess why it is that you feel good. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Hey, Oren. Thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, we kind of know each other through a mutual friend of ours, Dan, who's another director in town, right? Yes, yes, Dan. We love Dan. Yep, I love him too. He's super cool. He's been on the show, but we haven't released the episode yet because we both... And I have to... I, I, he's going to hear it for the first time here. <laughs> yeah. But we both came on because we've had uh, similar careers as music video directors. Right. And we've been doing it for years, so it just became like a bitch fest <laughs> that sounds like every lunch i have with dan <laughs> so i understand and i'm so simply triggered so like he him and i sit with each other and he's like this happened i go and then this fucking oh happened. yeah and so we i think we have like a two hour long unreleasable episode yes just a just a just bitching. endless rant it's just <laughs> that's what I, boris of ranting that's what i do on this show liam just joined me on the show 
this is what your third episode fourth episode yeah. yeah he's been pretty busy welcome liam good um, job but he's learning because he was a fan initially oh and, and now he's uh and now he's part of it yeah and now he's learning how much i actually fucking rant what, <laughs> what a journey though yeah he came all from, the way out of yeah from fandom to to becoming a part of the thing you love drove across west coast to hang out he's doing pretty good he still gets some stuff to learn about but he's doing pretty good he's doing all right That's okay we're all learning we're all always learning, aren't we? He's just, it's like, yeah. it's like day two. I'm just looking in his eyes and he's just like, well, I fucking drove all the way why across did I, the country. Why did I do this? Why did I do this? Guys, I followed this guy over here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So let's get into you. That's why we're here today. Um, so uh, the audience probably doesn't know who you are. No offense. None taken. Okay. They should not. Okay, good. <laughs> So then let's I would be shocked. <laughs> Half of them don't even know who the fuck I am. Exactly. <laughs> who is anybody? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. This guy, what did he do? Have I seen it? Is it a Marvel movie? Then fuck him. You know, yep, like they, pretty they, much. Yeah. yeah. That's like uh, every family member of mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, what do you do again? Yeah, right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about your stuff. So you, how long have you been a cinematographer? Um, I would say, you know, it sort of depends when you start counting from. Sure. How long have I been kind of doing cinematography since high school? Yep. Uh, you know, shooting videos and stuff like that, like with friends and stuff like that. Um, but professionally, uh, it's been about eight years. Cool. Yeah, since I, I I would count it from the first paid gig, like my first kind of you know one hundred dollar Craigslist gig. So is, you're you're is, on your you're on year eight now. Which year is eight from that point. Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is a fascinating thing because I say this on the fucking show all the time that it takes about eight years before anybody notices you or gives a fuck about you. Have you been noticing the change over the eighth year? Has it been different for you? Sure. Yeah, I think that it probably started a couple of years ago. Um, for me, that point, maybe maybe in year six or something like that, but um, yep. kind of, you know, plus minus <laughs> a sure. couple of years. Uh, but yeah, I think it did. It, it hit what I guess I would call critical mass of, um, you know, your career becoming inevitable, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. up until a certain point, you're sort of hopping from gig to gig, tr- building the reel and hoping that this will eventually kind of start snowballing and just roll itself down the hill mm-hmm. and you won't have to... Um, you know, troll Mandy.com anymore uh, or take operating gigs or, you know, uh, ACing or any other kind of crew position to support sure. yourself. Sure, sure. Uh, and just focus on doing cinematography full time and have the jobs kind of roll into each other mm-hmm. uh, and sort of just have word of mouth or recognition from Instagram or whatever it is, kind of just do its own work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yeah, so that did happen mm-hmm. probably about a couple of years ago thankfully that's good that's great yeah and i think you're in a good position <laughs> for the show because i think a lot of the people that listen to that show are are our show the, are this from, one right this here. one here <laughs> this show are probably about two years in you know yeah, I mean? like yeah. there's this, that period uh of time and i think that uh yeah, that's a t- that's the tough that's the toughest time right right, right. that's the gauntlet that's like the that's the test what was it like for you Probably similar to what it's like for a lot of your listeners. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, I, I was living in New York, right? So there's certain expenses and things like that. It's it's a bit different from that, you know, living in a small town or, or sure. a different a, a different state that's not New York, California, or just a different market. Um, but the challenges are similar. I mean, you're looking to build your reel, 
right? You're looking to create an identity for yourself as a cinematographer, mm-hmm. an existence. You're looking to to exist. You're looking to build your existence um, as somebody that is viable for people to to hire and and work on on more professional jobs and stuff like that. Sure, so sure. Uh, it's just a, it's just a lot of anxiety, a lot of uh, volatility mm-hmm. in the schedule. Sometimes you'll be, you'll have multiple shoots a month and then sometimes a couple months will go by with nothing. And you're just ping ponging between these emotions of <laughs> feeling like you're finally building towards something. And then the next month you're in a pit of despair of <laughs> the, the cliche of like, Oh, I'm never getting hired again. And what's the backup plan? And Dude, do but- I start to dust up? Right. And, and your, your mind, and then, you know, you get a few gigs in a row and you're like, yes, this is great. This is happening. It's, it's, I can see the future. Uh, and you're kind of just, I don't know, just all over the place emotionally with all of those things. <laughs> Dude, it doesn't go away. Yeah. No, no. And it, it, it doesn't go away. It, it doesn't, it really doesn't. But, uh, <laughs> the stability of sort of, of the inevitability of being able to say like, I'm a cinematographer and that's it. This is my mm-hmm. job now. And, and, and it w- some calamity would have to happen for me to stop getting work altogether. Yeah. Which is a good thing to remind yourself when you do have those slow periods. I mean, slow periods and, and busy periods will always happen, but I think psychologically you uh, develop enough armor to deal with it <laughs> after a while. And in terms of the day to day, it's really just, uh, working at building that career when, whenever you're not on set, which is most of the time. So, uh, you do your day job, whatever it is, if it's doing a different crew position, uh, or maybe it's something outside of the film industry, all of that's totally fine. I actually taught at NYU as an adjunct professor for a couple of years, uh, nice. which was a great way to kind of support myself because I was making, you know, my day rate as a DP was $200 a day or whatever. <laughs> uh, so you had, yeah, I needed additional income and that's totally fine. And I, I encourage everybody to do that and not feel the pressure not to do that. I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. And yeah, in terms of the work, it's just uh, trawling the internet for opportunities. <laughs> uh, at the time, it was mostly Craigslist, Mandy.com, Film TV Pro. I assume that all of those are still in play right now. Still, I think yeah. Production Hub was another one. Yeah. I would just go on these every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and basically just apply to anything reasonable. Uh, you know, these you get a glimpse of what it looks like on the other side as a director sometimes mm-hmm. uh, when you talk to people who have reached out to uh, cinematographers on these platforms and then you realize like they get 400 emails or 500 responses. So even to get a response and set up a meeting is kind of a win mm-hmm. in those situations. And it's just a pure numbers game. It's, it's like, did I respond to this ad early enough to be one of the first replies mm-hmm. that pop up in their inbox? Cause they'll go through 30 or something and, they and get then, exhausted and throw the rest. Sure. Out. They'll yeah. pick somebody from the first batch. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just looking for any opportunity uh, with, meeting new people as well and, and, and going back to the film school contacts and encouraging people to make things and mm-hmm. making things yourself. Uh, if you have the wherewithal to do that and access to equipment and all the things that are necessary for that, that's basically what it looked like for me. I didn't make a ton of stuff myself out of, I kind of regret that in hindsight, but I, I sort of placed a little too much reliance on other people to, oh. to create, to generate work that I could, that I could shoot. Uh, I think in hindsight, and this is certainly advice I would give to people now, is if you have the opportunity to go out and just make little videos on your own, mm-hmm. uh, 
just you know, shooting content, shooting yep. a cool image or a cool location and just making little one minute, two minute portrait pieces or I don't know if you have a friend who's a good dancer, you know, shoot some little dance piece in a cool location or uh, shoot little music videos, like not big productions, like literally just mm-hmm. small things that you have full control over and that you can use to kind of represent your taste. Mm-hmm. I would say, I wish I, I, I wish I did more of that. It would have kind of built my reel out more earlier. Sure. Uh, it's tough to rely on other people yeah. to generate opportunities for you because yeah, for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that, ch- that gig is tough, you know, um, <clears throat> that's something that a lot of cinematographers that I think if you start talking like maybe, five years ago, mm-hmm. like the whole idea of creating your own content, because now we're such a content creation heavy kind yeah. of society at this point mm-hmm. where everybody's like, you know, here's my fucking food I ate yesterday. And like, it's a whole big part of it. Sure. <clears throat> and then my mind was kind of blown when I would talk to creative directors or I would talk to people that were literally hiring like you and me and they're fucking hiring through Instagram. They're just mm-hmm. literally sc- scrolling through that stuff. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that you were the head that vibe because, you know, the idea of a cinematographer creating content, that's not, that's sort of goes the antithesis. Yeah, it wasn't really five years ago. Yeah, six yeah. years ago was not really a thing. Also, equipment wise, things are a lot different now. Uh, you know, if I were mm-hmm. if I just graduated from film school now, I would probably go out and spend the two thousand dollars and get a black magic pocket or I don't even know. how Is it? It's cheaper than that. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think those cameras are even cheaper. The image is great. But when I graduated from film school, it was like there were kind of high-end or mid-end um, yeah. digital cameras, and then there were DSLRs. Yeah. Right? So this personal content you were shooting was still pretty low quality compared to what professional level yeah. stuff, and that gap has closed yeah. significantly in, in the intervening years. And so I think nowadays more than ever, there's, there's no excuse for yourself to get out of it. Yeah, that's uh, uh, it's not a huge investment, and and it's worth it's really worth it. I think it pays off for sure. The thing that's fascinating from a director's standpoint, and being a guy that used to be a cinematographer and yeah. knowing the game, is uh, now when I'm hunting and that like when I'm shopping now for DPs and cinematographers, or if I'm looking for good camera people, you're actually looking beyond the the image of the the image quality now because everybody has that access. Everyone has access to the same tools. Yeah, right. So, so you're looking at like. You know, is everything that that person shoots handheld or does that person have skill with working with dolly work? And then you understand that if they do have skill working with dolly work and working with like um, uh, crane heads or anything else, you understand that they must have some sort of communication um, skills to deal with the crew with that. Yeah, that's interesting. It's not just a running. It's like, yeah, anyone can not anyone, but. Most people hypothetically, have, yeah, anyone who with access to equipment sure. can hold a camera, point it at something pretty, and get a good image. And then you just go through Vimeo, and you're like, ah, I love this fucking style, and you sort of recreate that style. Totally, which yep. is fine. I think that's a great way to learn. But mm-hmm. yes, I think mm-hmm. yeah, what I would hope for that people are looking for in my work when directors are looking at it is looking for uh, my taste and my eye and my uh, ability to, to to compose an image or discern. Uh, you know, what is going on my website? What am I presenting to the world? Sure. Aesthetically, visually, can I light? Can I move the camera? Can I, you know, design Mm -hmm. uh, a look, right? I I feel like that's sort of the next 
Hell yeah. Step above. And that's what I hope I'm putting out there. You do that's, a really good idea. job with it. Cause we'll Thank get you. into that. Yeah, your stuff is really fantastic. Oh, cheers. Um, <laughs> it's just interesting. And I know there's a lot of young guys listening right now, young guys and girls that are listening that are like, how the fuck do I do it? You know? And I, I and that's the thing. And it's like, if you're super young, like you were saying before, get your hands on gear, go out there and shoot stuff and make that stuff as, as dynamic as you possibly can. But you're almost, it's almost more to your benefit to be hyper-focused on your voice when you're doing those things and your perspective when you're doing those things and then trying to learn uh, what these essential tools do or like what the hundred plus years of audience understanding of what a 50 yep, millimeter does. Development of film language, sure. All that yeah. kind of stuff. And then if you're, if you're working on that <clears throat> at the same time as you're like learning how to use the gear, you're learning how to recreate stuff that you like, uh, you're starting to create a voice because right now there's a fucking sea of shooters out there. And the good thing is there's an ass load of content that's being made that needs great DPs right now. Totally. Absolutely. You know, I think there's no dearth of that. I mean, there's a lot of DPs, but there is also a lot of content. A ton of content. And it feels like every showrunner, every producer is hyper-focused on good cinematography. So yeah, everything the, I, you're seeing is amazing. I mean, the quality alone, the quality of, of cinematography alone has just gone up exponentially. In TV, yeah. you look at the stuff that Apple TV Plus are producing, Disney, stuff like that. I mean, this is feature-level quality. It blows my stuff, mind how yeah. much they do and the schedules they do it in where it's just like totally what, you've been shooting for what two weeks and you've got most of a feature dumb pretty much yeah at that level it's, well, it's all multicam isn't it and then you start looking at the coverage and you're like okay so here's the sequence where they talk in that yeah. same fucking warehouse again right and when a show does have a uh, filmic language that goes beyond that like euphoria or something mm -hmm. you find out that they spent 10 million dollars an episode and had 20 day shooting schedules <laughs> per episode which is not the norm in tv so yeah, yeah yeah you take everything with a grain of salt but i do think in terms of image quality lighting everything uh the stuff that all of these streamers have been producing lately is is next level and something that i think any dp would be really proud of working on mm -hmm. uh that has changed quite a bit in yeah. the last 10 years Hell with yeah. regards to television Hell yeah. well, <laughs> well kudos to the fact that uh, any of those streaming services just created an outlet for crew it's amazing for crew and it's amazing for people that are on content creators yeah for sure we need to work on some of the uh, workers' rights uh, and uh, residuals, yeah. stuff like that. It's an ongoing process. Yeah. <laughs> this is insider baseball. You forget this part. <laughs> they love yeah. insider baseball. Oh, okay. There's there's progress to be made, but uh, overall, yeah, it's there's some amazing opportunities out there. Really, uh -huh. really amazing. And just great content to be inspired by, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every yeah. once in a while you stumble across, you get out of that soup. Because I feel like there's that there's uh -huh. that baseline. Yeah, it was like back when uh, in the networks where it was like how well, many how many fucking shows could be Law and Order, how many shows could be procedural. Yeah, and they're still making those somehow, but yeah, I don't know. A lot of people still only watch the three TV channels, yeah, of course, <laughs> right? Like, of course, of course. <laughs> and then the streaming services are making the shit that are on the three fucking channels to oh, try to get people. Of course, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but I but I agree with your earlier point about I, I think I think there is a lot of value in trying to spend this time in the early years to develop that voice and learning the technical stuff is good. Learning uh, how to reverse engineer what other people have done is good. I don't think any of this is negative, but mm -hmm. it's not, you can't just do that. You can't only uh, focus on recreating other people's lighting diagrams. Right. You know, and it's, I think it's great that that content's out there. I will always share uh, my, my lighting diagrams and plans. I completely transparent with that because because it's not about that. that yeah. That's the point ultimately. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. I want to try to kind of get that mindset out there to, to think beyond just 
you know, when, when you're crafting an image, it's not just about where you've put your key light and what you're diffusing it with. It's, it's, it, that's the least interesting thing about it. <laughs> right, right. And the thing that's so fascinating about this business in general is that the good shit, like the really good stuff, mm-hmm. comes from that uh, freedom, that sort of, there's a hundred, there's a hundred different ways to, to, to skin a cat in this industry. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Like you, there's a, you can light it a bunch of different ways. You can use a bunch of different gear. You can uh, attack a scene through different types of coverage and pacing and all that kind of stuff. I always go back to food. So for me, it's, it's kind of like cooking. <laughs> so do I. Yeah. yeah. We Love all, food. We all, we all do. <laughs> so for me, it's like cooking, you know, it's like the difference between baking and cooking. Mm. Like baking is like, where's the recipe? I have to follow these fucking rules. Yep, it's chemistry, right? There's mm-hmm. science happening in the oven, and right. if you if you're off with the science, it's, you're not, it's gonna get yeah. fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, cooking is different, isn't it? It's emotional. Yes. And then you sort of sit there and you go, all right, here are my spices. Here's my seasoning. Yep. I understand the basics of like how to sear something or how to like stew something. Totally. And then you go in, you open the, like on a random, the best cooking experiences for me are like a random Wednesday where you're just like, what do we got kicking around in the fridge? Yep. What are the ingredients? Right. I have this baseline of technique, but yep. it's really just taste and, and instinct. And it, I think cinematography is exactly that. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah for I sure. C- I couldn't agree more. That's, that's, that's a great, I'm going to steal that metaphor. Do actually. it, man. Do it. That's Cause, great. Cause and you get such a, I was just, we, last week we were hanging out with a amazing gaffer. Uh, and I think the show is going to come up before this one. Cool. Um, and, um, he was, uh, the guy that did like all the fast and furious movies. He did, he does like the big, big stuff. Mm. And that was my questions for him because I, I feel like on an indie level, you're more of that cook in a kitchen and you're sort of playing around on a Wednesday night. Right. And then you start to get into that level where you're basically like a, like a chef and you're sort of managing a kitchen and there's a bunch of that stuff going sure, on. Sure, there is a bit of a recipe going on. It, or you're just, it, you're more in the delegation and you're more like plating the food at the end and you're just like, all right, everybody get your shit together and do that. Totally. Um, and uh, it was it was great to talk to him because I, I've i always been concerned that like when do you when you get to that level, do you start to lose that 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 rush? You know what I mean? Like that rush you get where you like you turn on the lights, you set up the image and you look at it and you go, okay, so the lights are on. Your director goes, okay, lights are on. And then, <laughs> and then you're running around and you're like, oh, no, 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 no. and you're running around tweaking, 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 tweaking. Yeah. And then there's that rush in that tweak where for me, cause I'll light for Gina a lot now. And that's kind of the only time I ever do lighting as well. I'll work mm-hmm. on one of her shoots and I get fucking excited because you're sitting there and you're like, whoa, 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 and you're just constantly moving and tweaking the lights. And then you, find this beautiful thing that wasn't preconceived it's just this thing that some somehow appears do you feel the same way with that stuff yeah 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 um certainly at this level that happens quite a bit um Mm -hmm. it's sort of this ongoing journey of discovery i think once you're gaffing fast and furious (laughs) the at that level what you're able to do is recreate that imagery and know how to get there yeah 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 so you're the seasoned chef at that point where you've you've done your creative stuff and you're you're always still creating new things but you you always you have your hits you know you have your you have your go-to <laughs> uh recipes that you know are tried and true mm-hmm. but the journey to get there is is magical yeah absolutely mm. and that feeling that feeling of constantly discovering something or or trying to recreate something you saw in you know sitting in a living room and how the light falls in and and then you're on a on another location in another house and you have some HMIs and you say, okay, well, how can I 
do that? How can I get to that place? Mm. How can I recreate the circ the scenario, the circumstances that that created that little mat? I guess basically that's the point. Is like the natural world gives you those moments all the time, mm-hmm. and I think the craft of cinematography is about a recognizing them. That's step one. Mm-hmm. That's huge. A lot of people don't get to that step, uh, but recognizing those moments of of magic and inspiration that the, that light in the natural world gives you. Mm-hmm. And then the second level beyond that is how do I create those situations for myself? And that is, that's going to be a journey of discovery because yeah, because you're not creating some formula. You're not following some recipe Right. you are trying to recapture some spontaneous magical thing that is the result of a million different circumstances. What's the, uh, the floor made of, Mm-hmm. What material is the floor made of? Is the light bouncing off of, you know, a porch or a tree or some other object outside? So all these different variables that are at a certain point compound so much that it's impossible to to focus on each one. This is going back to the lighting diagram thing, why it's like that's kind of meaningless <laughs> because it's not about that. It's about all of these little variables. It's about what shirt is your actor wearing that's what color is it what material is it is it bouncing some light back up that's giving you this little tiny fill underneath that's wrapping your light around like you can't and what's what's the shape yeah what's the shape of their face and like totally how far back are their eyes set like Mm -hmm. there are all these different things it's impossible to recreate those scenarios well i wouldn't say impossible because again if you're gaffing fast and furious you're probably more adept at recognizing and identifying those specific elements and recreating them. Sure. But you also have a lot of time to. Sure. Yes. And you're assumedly at a very advanced stage in your career and life. Yeah. And that's an okay place to be at that point. Right. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but we're all, we're, we're still, we're still uh, relatively young on that journey. And I think, I think it's important to at this stage, lean into that and not focus on trying to recreate some technique perfectly, mm. but be, I think the the most important training for for a young cinematographer is to learn how to be open to looking for those moments of inspiration that that nature provides you for free. Yeah. There that's out there everywhere. That's all that's all around you. Yeah. And then and then also putting yourself yourself in scenarios on set where you're creating those scenarios for yourself. It's cool. It's like uh I mean at least from a director standpoint with a cinematographer like a director and I'm a pretty visual-oriented director, so there's, there's a lot of directors that aren't. There's a lot of directors that mm-hmm. come from either acting or from writing, and they sort of rely pretty heavily on a cinematographer. Yeah. And so when you are putting something down on the page, you're putting something down, you're usually putting down a screen direction and dialogue, and if you're good, the dialogue uh, will inform the emotion. Yes. And then the screen direction will give you a bit of a, a, a blueprint for it. And then if you're a decent director that's working with talent, then you go through the process of blocking that scene. And then hopefully in the blocking, you're injecting some more emotion, some more like uh, guttural instinct yeah. into it. And then it's really up to the cinematographer. And it's like what you were saying before, where if you're cataloging all these things that you see in real life, and more importantly, how you feel when you see these mm-hmm. things, then you have sort of a catalog to yourself where if you're looking at a scene and the scene's like, I really want it to feel nostalgic and I really want it to feel warm and I really want it, like, like I want the audience to feel this. It doesn't yeah. physically say it in the script. Yeah. And then you can actually, if you if you have it, you can actually go back and go, I remember that time that I was sitting on this fucking porch 
And there was this thing that happened and then this happened and then you're just trying to recreate that, right? That's exactly right. And I think, I think that ties back to this idea of using that time in your early years to develop your voice. Mm-hmm. That's what your, your voice is, the, the culmination of those personal experiences, right? Your, vo- your voice or style or whatever you want to call it is not a conscious thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's just the, the manifestation of your memories, your emotional response to things that you've experienced in the past, and the way that you feel that those emotions can be visualized. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the most important thing for uh, a cinematographer to develop more than, you know, learning how other DPs lit a scene. I, I keep going back to that point, but it's just, I, I get that question quite a bit is, you know, I'll share an image on Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. And multiple comments will, will ask for the lighting breakdown, which is fine. Again, I'll always provide it. And I, I, I don't want this to come across as, as judging anybody who asks for that, but really more as like a challenge to, to what I would love to get is people responding to my images saying, why did you light it this way? Yeah. Where did you see that before? Yeah. I rarely get that yeah. if ever yeah. uh, that I get, I get that question of why did you choose to do it this way? Or but that, that's yeah. Because we, we live in a, yeah. we live in a time period right now <laughs> where everything's sort of controlled by at least our industry is very heavily controlled by the manufacturers of, our, yes, of all this very gear. very true. Yeah. And so with the manufacturers, they're like, look, if you shoot with this kind of chip, if you shoot with this kind of sensor, if these mm-hmm. are your settings. Mm-hmm. And these so that, kind of lights. Exactly. That's yep. your fucking mindset. And that mindset isn't just for people that are trying to learn that, that thing. It's also for producers and yeah. financiers. And it, for them, it would be very simple and easy for them to go, what's the fucking formula? I need a formula because then I can I can use the same budget every time. We're exactly, do it. it saves me time and effort, and it, like it has that which every thing. producer wants to do. It, right, right. <laughs> How the, can I do this with the least amount of work? <laughs> but that, but then what you get from it is like you know a fucking Netflix Marvel's Netflix series where like every one of those shows and every one of those episodes had that same sort of formula. Yeah, they looked exactly the same. Really. Exactly yeah. the same, and you're doing something that is so graphic so graphically designed Mm -hmm. you're doing a comic book series and you're doing uh, a series in which fans are used to having different artists Mm -hmm. and different runs and different illustrations that is interesting how it diverges from that doesn't it right and like the whole that whole like giant has always been I don't know I used to get pissed off about it because I was a comic book kid when I was growing up right and I got pissed off back when they did the original X-Men series and I'm like why the fuck is it like white balance light all the time? Like, why is it always this look? Why are you trying? Yeah, you mean to... the movies? The movies, yeah. Yeah, because I was like, you don't mean the '90s animated no, series? No, no, that was fuck. Because that's that's <laughs> fucking great. No, but the movies. You're just looking at it, going, "This yes. is like a slightly more elevated version of a WB network TV show." Sure, and I mean, in hindsight, even more so. But obviously, things have changed a lot in sure. 20 years since you since do... the first X Men movie came out. It's yeah, been 20 years. Yeah, it's crazy. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's crazy but you could do anything you yes. can physically do anything and then as long as it makes sense for the narrative as long as it makes sense for the story uh the audience will come on board with it i i love that quote from ridley when he talks about uh blade runner the first blade runner mm-hmm. i think he was talking to one of his lighting techs i'll fuck this up he was talking to one of his lighting technicians <laughs> and they were doing uh that sequence that happens in the office where he, uh harrison ford shows up for the first time and does the test on uh, what's her name? Um, on Rachel. On Rachel. Yeah, where they they close the blinds and they have all of that weird water effect stuff. Yep, there's going the water on the ripples on, on the, the walls. walls. 
and uh, I think the gaffer, it was either the gaffer, one of the lighting techs, were, were just like, why are we doing water? There's, there's no water in here. You, there's no water in here. And Ridley was like, we're doing it because I fucking say so. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you <laughs> watch that sequence and you're just like, it makes fucking sense. It totally makes sense. I don't know why. I've never seen the water. I don't even hear the water. And it's just this really interesting design pattern. And knowing how he thinks, he's like, look, I need to add some really interesting depth to this shot. Right. And that's what I want to do. Let's put some patterns on the wall and let's have that happen. And it's there because I fucking say it's yeah, there. Yeah, why not? <laughs> it's not real. This is not real. And we're so hyper-focused lately on making stuff as real as possible and yeah. as identifiable as possible. Relatable is a big fucking term that everybody uses. Sure. And so uh, you're trying to, as a storyteller personally, I'm trying to sort of break that and get into like, I don't want to say impressionism, but it, for me, movies are like paintings. Yes. And there's like, you can have, you can have that fast food cheeseburger advertisement look, or you can go into a place and stare at a fucking painting on a wall. Yeah, I mean, it days. is impressionism, right? You yeah. can paint this still life accurately, mm -hmm. which would be very impressive. Technically, sure. it's not an easy thing to do. Sure. But is, is that interesting? Not now. Not now it's not. No. Yeah. Not, not since the you know 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> not not at all, man. It, yeah. it, and when you look at all the great periods for cinematography, you get talk about film noir. Like, oh yeah, they're not trying to accurately recreate anything. No, that. not even close. And of course, you know, film noir uh, took all of those cues from German expressionism, which was sort of the even more exaggerated version of. Mm -hmm. They they weren't just distorting the lighting; it was the, the set design mm -hmm. um, was all all akimbo and skewed angles and so cool forced perspective and all sorts of crazy stuff that they were doing. It's so cool. You're completely divorced from reality, Yeah, but it's awesome. And it's what you're doing is you're just, you're, you're not restricting your tool palette for emotion. No, it's, it's quite the opposite. It's yeah. you are expanding your tool palette for emotion. You are, uh, going beyond what the real world is able to provide to you emotion wise. And you're using, uh, visual and film language to, 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 to tell a story, an emotional story that you couldn't tell just by reading it in a book or seeing it yeah. in a play. Yeah. That's the whole point, right? Otherwise, yeah. why are, you know, right. you should just be reading a book, right? If right. You're not, right. If right. you're not going to do any of that stuff, make a play. And that, that's not to diminish that. No, there's such a great craft in doing that, yeah. especially with play and lighting in plays and lighting cues sure. and stuff like that. You can do it's, amazing stuff. It's, what I'm saying is, is, yeah, it's the opposite of that. It's just saying... That if you're making visual art, if you're making something filmic, uh -huh. cinematic, you use the language of cinema to tell that story. Otherwise, what are we doing here? I believe in that too. Yeah. But, well, you know, th there's plenty of movies out there and there's a lot of directors that work in naturalism, the Jardin brothers and Ken Loach and yep. Andrea Arnold. And I think all of it's valid. I, I like sure. quite a, a few of those movies. Me personally, I'm more interested in more stylized stuff, but that's just my taste, right? Like at the end of the day, that's what sure. it comes down to. I mean, for me, <laughs> like uh, being this, you know, cynical prick that I yeah. have, have grown into, for me, it's like, it's whether or not it's coming from the filmmaker. Sure. Like yeah. if the, if the storyteller's like, this is what I'm going to do, this fits the story and this is why I'm doing it. Sure. In many ways, that aesthetic is still a very specific visual aesthetic choice exactly. is being applied to a story. Exactly. It's very deliberate. Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree with that completely. You know, as opposed to the other thing, which is like. The other thing, which is cynical and soulless. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> right. 
And fills our multiplexes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and when you go pitch movies, you know, all that shit comes into play. So <laughs> I got to do, I got to do a whole, I, I'm going to do a whole episode on like the hardening that this business does for you yeah. and like the bitterness and fighting that bitterness. Like mm-hmm. it's a really, there's a whole episode to be had. Yeah. This is a director thing too. I think Fuck, DPs dude. are uh, one of the things I like the most about it is I'm kind of isolated <laughs> from a lot of that. Yeah. Like I could just sit with a director and, talk creative shit and mm-hmm. have fun and I don't have to, and then I can hear them rant to me about <laughs> these experiences and I, I will feel their pain. I will empathize, but yeah. thankfully don't have to deal with that in a day to day, which is one of the perks of the job to be right. honest. <laughs> right. Like my, my cinematographer that I use a lot, David Crater, we always joke about it and he's always like, you're fucking ranting. And I'm like, yeah, but then he'll come to me <laughs> and be like, I had to fi- I had to bring in fill lights. I had to turn fill yeah, lights oh, on this thing. What a, dis- what a disaster. Like, well, sorry, dude. <laughs> sorry, you, had, you had a rough day today. You had to turn that's on our, fill that's lights. That's our rough day. <laughs> our version of a rough day is when, yeah, somebody comes along and forces us to make a really antithetical creative decision. Mm-hmm. But the upside is uh, DPs bounce from project to project so much that sure. you, when you're doing, especially working in commercials or music videos or stuff like that, a one day, a non-creative one day shoot is just a, just yeah. write off. You right. Do right. the job. It's your day job. You do the job, you go home. Right. And you can live with yourself. Right. You, with directors, it's different. You're invested in projects long term. It's a yeah. lot harder. I don't, five, I don't pity you. Five years minimum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, like, just half a decade here and there. No, no, no pressure. <laughs> and you're trying to raise a child and you're hoping that a child's not going to be an asshole and it's oh. And you're just like, oh, God. Um, what a life. It's good. <laughs> All right, guys. Right about now is that time. It's that time to take a moment and uh, thank and support the men and women, the friends of this show, the people that help make it possible, uh, the sponsors of the show. Now, before I get into the reads, right now, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, right? You can either click on the sponsors page on there, or you can click on this episode, this specific episode. And while you're there, you could probably check out the reel um, for Ren. You can check out any of the other stuff, um, but click on the links, click on these sponsor links, um, just to show them that you guys are listening, just to show them that you guys care. It's important they track these links, all right? So do that right now. Easiest way to support the show. Click on the fucking links. And I know there's a lot of you guys listening. I've seen the numbers. Click on the links. Okay? Anyway, uh, let's see. First up, uh, the boys, the guys over at uh, Puget Systems. If you are in the marketplace for a brand new computer, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a sound engineer, if you're a video gamer, if you're a fucking cat artist, if you're someone that uh, is still working off an older machine, like a desktop, and you're getting those pinwheels of fucking death, right? Uh, rumor was that you'd never get a crash on a Mac. Well, that was bullshit. I get those all the fucking time. I get those stupid pinwheels of death. I will sometimes get those pinwheels of death on my laptop when I go to put in the fucking password. And it has to sit waiting. What the fuck are you waiting for? I'm literally just entering in my password. There's nothing happening. There's no processing. Why do I get a pinwheel of death there? It drives me fucking insane. Anyway, uh, if you're looking to build a new computer... The marketplace is now open, right? You don't just have to get an Apple machine. You can get a PC. And the benefit of getting a PC is that you're not paying for that ginormous 
fucking marketing budget. You're not paying for that unboxing experience. You are not supporting a cult. <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the cool things about PC is that you can get uh, hardware. You can take all that money that you're going to spend on that computer and put it into the computer. You can build a custom-built PC specifically for the software that you use. Um, and uh, there's a lot of people out there that are like, well, look, I don't build PCs. I just want something I open up, I take it out of the box, and I can set it up. It's good to go. I don't blame you. I did the same fucking thing. And I did all the hard work for you. I hunted high and low, right? I, there's articles that I posted online about this. I've spoken about this at NAB over, over a few years. I did the fucking hard work. I looked for a PC company out there that had the same kind of customer support that you get from an Apple product. I hunted for a PC company out there that actually gave a shit about filmmakers, right? Because most of them were just gaming machine builders. I got to put in the fastest graphics card. I got to put in the fastest shit so that, you know, some asshole can run around playing World War II and shoot the fuck out of people. That's why those machines were built. I would love to have LED units inside of it so it looks like I took a car from the Fast and Furious to put it on the side of my desk. That was most of the shit that existed out there. I found this company, small company, uh, Northern West Coast, a company called Puget Systems. Family-run company, family-run business, a team of people that give a crap about their customers. And I know you say that about companies. Listen, You've heard me trash talk all sorts of manufacturers on the show. So you bet your ass if I'm fucking sponsored by somebody and if I'm, I'm taking a second here to read on it, I believe wholeheartedly in what they do and how they build their stuff. Um, go check them out. You can go to pewdiesystems.com. You can search for a machine or start to build a machine based upon the software that you use. Uh, they will offer up a baseline package that you can then customize by talking to them directly and telling them what it is that you want to build and how much money you want to spend. And they will help you spend that money in the best possible way. And in that, in my mind, it's to the point where you never have to wait on the fucking system. It does what it needs to do, right? That's what you want. And it'll do what it needs to do two years from now. And if it doesn't, you can open up the fucking box, buy a little piece of hardware, stick it inside, and it does it for more time. Remember when that was a thing? Remember when computers weren't disposable fucking objects? Remember when technology didn't exist for two years and then get thrown out and become a fucking floating island somewhere? Remember that shit? That's what I'm talking about. So go check them out. Go to PugetSystems.com. Uh, next up, our good buddies over at Quasar Science. Uh, one of the best uh, things about the industry right now as far as technology is concerned isn't cameras, isn't the chips, isn't all that bullshit. It is lighting. Lighting has improved on such a huge level and the technology that is being put into lighting is fucking phenomenal, right? And a big part of that comes to LED technology. LED lighting and Quasar Science is one of the forefront companies with it. Uh, they create amazing uh, tubes, like they bicolor tubes, which are fucking fantastic and true color for bicolor. They also do their RGB LEDs. Uh, which if you've heard prior episodes, you've heard about the big expose on how RGB LEDs aren't doing exactly what they say they're doing. Um, but there's so much great benefit. There's so many great benefits to actually using um, an RGB tube. If you want to have color effects, if you're doing a music video, let's say you want to recreate cop car lights. Um, and one of the good things about LED is power consumption. It doesn't require as much power. It doesn't require you to run generators doesn't require you to do all those things that I used to have to deal with. 
back when I got started. To get that cinema look, there hit a point where I'm like, fuck, I need to get a generator in here. And I, that means I also need to get like three guys to run the generator and everything else. Uh, I can recreate a lot of that stuff with LEDs. Super cool stuff. If you're in the market, if you're a young uh, shooter, if you're just someone that's looking for a basic package that's affordable, something that you can trust, um, check them out. Go to quasarscience.com. There you'll be able to see their new tubes. You'll be able to see all the new technology that they're working on. Um, top of the line stuff. Really great company. Just go there and look at all the new shit. If you're a fucking geek on lighting stuff, it is the mecca for that. So go to quasarscience.com. Also supporting the show is Industry Jump. We're very excited to be forming a new partnership with IndustryJump.com, their global community of verified filmmakers, providing the next generation of filmmakers with the resources required to grow their business, learn new skills, and manage their careers. You can sign up for free. You can even create a verified portfolio. Search for Film Crew to hire for your next project and learn from top-tier creators in the industry through live video mentoring. So if you're interested in this stuff, go check them out. They're over at industryjump.com or on Instagram at industryjump. And what they're going to be doing is they're going to be promoting the episode to their folks as well. So if you showed up from Industry Jump, welcome to the podcast. As you can see, we kind of do the same kind of thing a little bit differently. So happy that you're here. Excited to have you on board and really pumped to be working with the dudes at Industry Jump. Um... I don't think there's anybody else right now. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to do is if you want to support the show, um, you can uh, make donations. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There's a donation button there. I think it's set up for like $15 or something like that. Um, I'm going to make some new merch. And it may be made by the point that this episode comes out. But I'm going to get to the point where there's going to be a bunch of things that you can do. Buy merch, support the show, a bunch of different ways. Uh, I'll let you guys know as we get there. But in the meantime... If you don't want to reach in your own pocket and you haven't done so already, sign up for a free trial at Audible, right? If you sign up, to, uh, if you go to audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process, uh, sign up for the 30-day free trial, get you a free book so you can listen to that book uh, and put it, put our uh, URL in there. Um, we get loot for each person that hasn't done so already. If you already haven't done the free trial, if this is the first time you've done it, we'll get some loot for everybody that signs up. So it's great. doesn't cost you anything. It's free. You can stick around for 30 days. Check out a bunch of stuff. You'll probably want to stick around even further because you're going to get addicted to books. But if you don't, you cancel before 30 days. We still get paid. doesn't matter. I'm not even supposed to tell you guys that, but that's the fucking truth of it. So go there. Go sign up. Click on the link below. Click on the link on our website. Like I said, it's audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. Okay. Uh, another way that you can support the show, and please... If you're someone that doesn't know how to handle your finances, uh, go take uh, some courses on how to balance a checkbook. Go take some courses on how to examine and plan out your finances. Um, and don't take this advice. <laughs> but if you're someone that has the ability uh, to pay your bills on time, because the last thing I want to do is advise anybody to get themselves into credit card debt. That's not what I'm here to do. I want to tell you about a couple deals that we have with Capital One. You could sign up for either the Venture Card or the Venture One card. And I did so specifically for the sign up bonuses. Now, here's how you can make this work, right? 
go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, click on the sponsors page, scroll down, and you'll see two different uh, credit cards, right? You can either sign up for the Venture One card, which is a no annual fee. Uh, let me look at the sheet here so that I don't fuck it up. Venture One card, earn unlimited 1.2 miles per dollar for every purchase every day. Uh, here's the here's the kicker. Earn 20,000 bonus miles when you open the account and you spend $1,000 on purchases within the first three months, okay? Now, what that equates to is $200 towards travel. That could be towards a plane ticket. That could be towards Uber rides or fucking Lyft rides. Anything that has to do with travel. Uh, they make it super easy. You could just do it through the website. You could just cancel out a bunch of uh, line items uh, and use those points for it, right? Um, or you can sign up for just the straight up uh, venture card, which comes with a $95 annual fee. So you have to do the math here and decide whether or not it's worth it. But you get two times the miles per dollar that you spend. And that's their, their bonus, their uh, sign up uh, incentive is that you earn 50,000 bonus miles when you spend $3,000 on purchases within the first three months. So that's $500 that you're getting to spend on travel. Okay, so you're saying to me, all right, Mike, well, why are you peddling the shit on me? Well, when I did this move cross country, uh, both Gina and I signed up for these cards and we had a bunch of stuff that we had to spend money on. Like we had to pay for the fucking cubes for shipping. We had to pay for all sorts of crap. Big time item purchases that were gonna have to get paid for anyways. I already had the money for it. I dumped them on the credit cards. I got those bonus miles. I got those bonus miles that I could use for plane tickets. So when I came out here for a week, traveled out here looking for apartments, uh, we had it completely paid for by the credit card companies, right? And so if you're someone that's working in the industry and you have to rent gear, let's say you're a shooter, you got to rent gear. Let's say that you um, have some sort of big purchase, like you're going to buy a computer from Puget, right? Uh, and you have the money, you have the income coming in, get one of these credit cards, toss it on that credit card, get those bonus points, and then you can use those bonus points towards traveling to shoot traveling for experience, traveling for a fucking vacation. It makes sense. That's why I bring them up on the show. I'm not a big fan of getting in debt and all that kind of stuff. It's just a super smart thing to do if you're starting up a company, okay? So check it out. Um, and uh, as always, continue to support the show by going and uh, checking us out on Instagram. Write to me at, at Mike Petchy on Instagram or in love with the process pod on Instagram. All right, that's the read. It was uh, not too long. I kind of went through it pretty quick. Um, let's get back to the show. Well, let's get more specific with mm. you. Um, I know each each person has their their own way of, of processing this sort of thing. But what is your, what is your, on a day, you, you get hired, mm -hmm. you work on a set, you're probably there too fucking long. They probably <laughs> have you there for long periods of time. <laughs> what is your favorite part of a day generally? Do you generally have a spot where you're like, this is where it's good? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, on the more cynical days where you are just kind of showing up and doing a job, Mm-hmm. Uh, that moment is lunch. <laughs> Great time of the day. Because for a specific reason, actually, I know that's a joke answer, but but the real answer is that because in those in that time, that's when you hang out with the crew and that's sure. when you 
that's when you have fun on set, just hanging out with 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 your buddies or making new friends or chatting with people about movies and that's fun. That that is fun. To yeah, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a big part of it. On a creative on a set where you could be creative, uh, I mean the best the the lightning that you're chasing. You're always chasing this very specific kind of lightning. And that lightning is that you watch, you're watching the monitor or the uh, viewfinder. If you're a viewfinder person, I am not, but it's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Most people are. It's kind of a hot take, I guess. I like operating off of the monitor. Uh, you're watching the monitor and, and something unfolds in front of it, whether it's the light falling in just the right way or uh, the actor turning into the light in just the right way, or just going beyond that, you know, the actor just turning in this killer performance in this in this shot uh and you feel the emotion of that performance while watching it Mm -hmm. and all the elements are just coming together like that and and you 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 just get this tingle (laughs) when you see it like this is that's it that was it that's going in that's going in the movie or that's going in the music video or that's the take however you want to express it yeah that lightning is is the best part of it. It's it's a it's a feeling that you. I feel like we. That's what you're chasing. Really, mm. is is to create that feeling as much as possible. <laughs> and well, sometimes it doesn't happen at all. Like that's the thing is it is rare. It's not. You can't take it for granted. Yeah, you really can't. Yeah, but that's the best part. Well, and it's fascinating the way that you said that too because. There's a lot of shooters out there that are chasing their real content. There's a lot of people that are like, I need to build for my real. Sure. And you had a very important part of that statement where it's like the actor turns into it. The actor delivers a performance for twofold. One, you're doing your job and you're and everybody's doing their job and you've created some of that narrative that you want. Mm-hmm. But then if you're thinking selfishly as a cinematographer, mm-hmm. that great performance bit's gonna be in the fucking movie. Like yeah. you may spend hours slaving over the the top end of a shot and then that just gets fucking <laughs> cut and ends up on the floor and no one ever sees it. Yeah, uh I would say in terms of chasing the real, mm-hmm. I think that that's a big mistake people make is looking looking for real footage or material purely uh aesthetically. And the thing is is that moment with the actor turning in the good performance and landing in the light in just the right way when all the elements come together, that's your real shot. Yeah. The, j- just an image without that is meaningless at the end of the day. And it's not going to be good on your reel. I mean, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll be a pretty image. But again, going back to this, what we were saying before, everyone can make pretty images. Mm-hmm. So what you're, what you want to put out there is a point of view and a voice. And that can only come through with all of the elements mm-hmm. in an image working together. The, the actor, the set design, mise-en-scene where you've placed your camera why how it's moving the light everything yeah and and when all those pieces fall into place that's that lightning but it's 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 hard that's that's not an easy thing yeah because it isn't just you doing it yeah so this combo of everybody it's everybody exactly uh so so that very specific moment is is the the best part of set like that's the best feeling Mm -hmm. you lose all sense of time you are you forget the rest of the day you're really just focused on this one Mm. thing that's unfolding in front of the camera at that moment Mm -hmm. that's great that's awesome yeah that's the best yeah and just talking about it (laughs) yeah right because you if you've ever experienced it which you obviously have and i have Uh you just you're consistently trying to get back there 
and you're consistently like, what is the elements that I need to bring together to get us back to that thing that we had? That was really great. Yeah. You know? Uh, but the lunch answer is true too. Yeah. (laughs) I like, you know, cause I do like this. They're actually connected, right? Cause, uh, the collaboration and working with not just my crew, not just the, the camera and lighting departments, but the whole crew, sure. uh, production designer and the, the, the AD and the production team and the director and everybody, the yeah. actors, yeah. uh, getting along with them and getting along with everybody and just hanging out and shooting the shit is great. That's fun. That's, that's why it's not an office job, right? That's why we, we like our coworkers and we want to hang out with them or we aspire to and, yeah, yeah, I think that that's that's really important to me too. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too as we're talking about this. From my from my history, it's so wild how in the early years you're trying to find a confidence to even make a business card that says this <laughs> right. person. So like that that seemed to be the beginning, and then you're doing a lot of the stuff that you were talking about earlier, where you're just hunting for any reason. So you're just sort of doing that hunt and doing that search for it and then i remember i only shot as a cinematographer one feature Mm -hmm. and i had only done it uh once and that job was so kind of badly organized and poorly put together (laughs) i mean been been there a couple times you know what i mean (laughs) and so when we got all wrangled in to do this gig which i'm not gonna throw any names out there but right we got wrangled in to do this gig and then you're committed for like four weeks or three weeks or whatever the fucking thing is. And I remember going from that, I'm going to tell a story narratively and I'm going to try to do this. And then that sort of shifted to, well, the people at the top are not going to make it possible for me to do so. Yeah. And so then it became an exercise for th- three or four weeks of me trying to figure out how to be the dad for a crew. Mm-hmm. And for a team of people, this is very real to me. This ha- this happened to me on one feature in particular. Um, that yeah, you you sort of reach a point a few days in mm-hmm. where, or I reached a point a few days in where I realized, like this is this is not going to. Um, <laughs> I don't want to say like this is not going to be good. It's just because, not going to live up because to what it's you want. Be, because yeah, because it goes beyond that. It's like this is not a worthy creative endeavor, right. which is a depressing realization to have uh, when you've started shooting a feature and have a few weeks left. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's that that's that's personal. I mean, that feels really personal. Like I am spending all this time and effort mm-hmm. on this, and I just know that at the end, it's not going to be a worthy creative endeavor, which yeah. sucks. Yeah. So then you have to pivot. You have to find a way to pivot and and make it worthwhile somehow. Is it something through? Yeah, the relationship with the crew. Am I going to be able to use this as an opportunity, at the very least, to just experiment with something visually, almost as just a little laboratory sure. for myself? Sure. With once you remove the expectation of this being anything worthwhile, you can sort of almost kind of try things out sometimes knowing that they might not work, but it's sort of like, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? What difference does it make? Yeah. Which is again, a a sad and hopefully avoidable place to be in when working on a project like that. Like the ideal would be not to be in that scenario. Sure. But when you're in it, yeah, you find a way to kind of make it worthwhile. Which is good. Cause I, I know a lot of everybody listening has, has found themselves in that scenario 
and I think oftentimes when you're younger and you're getting going, you're, you're finding yourself in that scenario because mm, you're dealing yeah, with yeah. producers or you're dealing with folks that don't want to pay for things that don't want to have the resources there. And they're trying to find labor as cheap as they possibly can. Yes, this is true. And the sad truth is not to, not to throw anybody under the bus, but uh, when you're at that stage, you're also working with a lot of directors who don't yeah. have a vision and don't yeah. have that drive and 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 that creates that same scenario sometimes which is fine if you are able and willing and, and open to pivoting within it and finding finding something else worthwhile mm-hmm. getting through to the other side and then moving on to the next project right <laughs> so yeah generally i mean you don't want to if you when you not if yeah, when, yeah, when you find yourself in the scenarios if you're smart about it, then you can actually walk away with such great skills from it. You can actually walk away totally with a solid crew of people that you're going to pull next time. And then the, yep, it's which all, happened on the feature, right? Like I work right. with those people all the time. And, of course. And, it, those are the people when you go to the fucking war and it's a miserable war. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones you connect with the most mm-hmm. where you come out and mm-hmm. it's just like, remember when we did this and half the time you're sort of sitting around going, remember when this happened? You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're never going to fucking do that again. Yeah. yeah. And of course in hindsight, it's like a funny anecdote, sure, which is great. That's the ideal sure. place to, to end up with all of this is to look back on it and laugh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally, man. Yeah. And, and you were still fortunate enough to be in the position to even have that situation, yeah. but yeah, and you I, can't take that for granted either. Right. Right, yeah. man. And then you're sort of looking at it going, okay, so how do I make the most out of this scenario? And it's, I did the exact same thing where it was just mm. like, all right, how do I how do I protect my crew? Mm-hmm. You know, because that's a big part of cinematography. Yeah, I mean, I I bump into that on professional stuff too. Yeah, I find myself in those scenarios quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, less and less as you as you get into more professional spaces. Mm-hmm. A because yet more experienced producers tend to not put your crew in positions where they need to be protected. Uh, and then another thing that happens is you get to a place where your crew can protect themselves, which is really great. And mm-hmm. I find that very uh, important and, and to empower people to do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, even on even on uh, professional commercials and music videos, you bump into shady producers that are trying to pull some shit. And sometimes you have to step in and intervene. But you always I, f- I feel like it is the responsibility of the cinematographer to do that. Yeah. I, I do. I do see this happen quite a bit. I, I understand and realize that there's a dichotomy between your self-interest of doing a job, mm-hmm. right? Getting a job and doing it versus uh, stepping in and protecting the crew in a scenario that might cost you that right. job. Right. But to me, the, 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 the morals there are, are, are pretty clear. Sure. I mean, it's you protect the crew. Sure. Even if it costs you the job, you have to be willing to put yourself on the line. Otherwise, I, I don't know what I wouldn't as a crew member. I wouldn't want to work for a DP who doesn't right. have my back. I mean, it, every, like 100 percent of the time, even if you're a selfish piece of shit, you still have to understand that you're going to have to call these people again. Like these are the this is the crew that you're going to have to interact yeah. with. Yeah. Well, and all all crew know all other crew. Yeah. It is a small even <laughs> yeah. in even in Los Angeles. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you're the asshole, you get labeled. That's right. People are not going to answer your call, mm-hmm. uh, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And so I get that. I understand that people that that there are scenarios in which you can be torn between self preservation and uh, standing up for the people who work for you. Sure. But yeah, I that that's that's it. It's <laughs> the 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 answer is clear. It's you always you always protect the crew. I'm, like I, I like the, 
this sort of this uh, mystification, if that isn't even a word. Mm-hmm. This you mystify uh, the, the the crew heads, right? So you like uh, directors are mystified, and where it's just like, uh, sure, yes, there's a fucking genius, and he was born this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or uh, you're looking at uh, cinematographers, and cinematographers, it's like he's such an artist, or she's such an artist, and she he she just looks through the lens all the time, and she has this thing, and and it's like that, that's such a secluded specific aspect of this job this job is really a social job this job is really a collaborate everybody uses the word term collaboration but i don't know if you actually think about what that means that literally means that you don't know everything and you have to have people around you who know more shit than you do yes yes you know 100%. what i mean across the board within your department yeah dude as a director with your department heads, just across the board. Yeah. I couldn't agree with that more. And I do think that people fall into that trap quite a bit. Uh, and I, I really recoil from that, the whole um, deification mm. of, especially, well, d- with directors, of course, but uh, <laughs> within the, you know, community, I see it happen a lot with cinematographers. And I, it annoys me because when you meet these people, uh, you, which if you're ever in LA, there's plenty of opportunities to do so The ASC open house or at film festivals or whatever it is. I mean, there's, a, there's no lack of opportunity to actually, or even just interacting with them on Instagram. Right. Yeah. Uh, everybody's just a person Yeah. at the end of the day and a person who surrounds themselves with, uh, with other people <laughs> that they work with. And when you hear these DPs talk about it, that's all they will talk about. That's all Roger Deakins talks about. That's all any of any of them talk about is the crew, the people they work with, their gaffer, their operator. Mm-hmm. They are not they they recoil just as much as as I do from people d- d- worshiping them or, yeah. or deifying them or placing them on a pedestal. Yeah, uh, and. And I, I wish more people listened to them <laughs> and, and agreed with that too. Cause I, I, I don't know. I just, I just think that's so antithetical to the, to the mission right. of, of everything. Uh, and with directors, it's, it's tough. Uh, you're in more of a position of power there, I think. And I think there, there are a lot of examples of directors who have kind of clung to that, uh, ego, um, that aspect of, of their ego. Sure. And, and ran with it. So so it's a little hard to shake when you have someone like Tarantino out there. And I love Tarantino. Like, sure. don't get me wrong. Sure, sure. But the dude's an asshole. <laughs> you know, I mean, he... Yeah, of course. He'll go out there and say, like, he's joking, but uh, when he won the Golden Globe for writing, he said, you know, the one person I want to thank is myself because I wrote the script. <laughs> and it's, yeah. like, it's like, yeah, he's joking, but he's serious. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, with, with directors, it's a little different. They... Like uh, anybody who promotes a director, if you have like an agent, a management, whatever, whoever the fuck, they have to have a, you have to have a narrative. Sure. And so they create a narrative based upon <clears throat> you. So whenever you first sit down with someone that's going to sell you, whether you're dealing with a company or anybody else, they're like, what's your story? What's your narrative? Yeah. Where do you come from? And so you build this narrative and, and you spend enough time going around and talking about this narrative that you start to believe this fucking narrative. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then this narrative becomes your definition. Yeah. And then uh, a lot of people start to swallow that fucking pill and they're like, well, I am this thing. And you're like, actually, no, 
that narrative was such a two-dimensional description because you're selling it to people that don't have the fucking attention span to get three-dimensional. And totally. so we had to come up with some bullshit, simple way to get you in a room. <laughs> and if, if that's how you're going to be defining yourself, you're an asshole. Yeah. I mean, wh- what you're doing there is conflating the brand yeah. of you with the person. Yeah. And that is uh, not a good thing yeah. <laughs> because a person is not a brand. A person can have a brand that is themselves. Sure. But they are not the brand. So, and if you were, then you're not a developing human being. Like, no, you're not. Exactly. You're not changing. You're not. You're not growing. You're not learning anything. No, and and also, how are you functioning in society and interacting <laughs> with other humans, right? So, for some of these guys, they're not. You know, you start well, looking and at that's like, the thing that yeah. some of them are not. But with with DPs and with most directors, I would say a good a sure. good majority, because even even a lot of directors that other people DFI would recoil from that. Yeah, I mean, Scorsese does not go around talking about himself. Yeah, uh, he will be the first person to to constantly talk about about Thelma Schoonmaker and 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 mm-hmm. Rodrigo Prieto and and his production designers and the actors it's all the actors it's all the actors and uh but obviously he's regarded as the greatest living director sure but he doesn't see it that way and why would he right because but the, because the thing the person that's the greatest living director is the brand Martin Scorsese mm. not the person yeah the person is a person he dealing with the same bullshit, still having trouble getting his movies financed. Uh, correct. You know, and uh, and I think all of all of the great direct ninety five percent of the great directors <laughs> <laughs> uh, would say the same thing. I would say a hundred ninety nine percent of the great DPs would say the same thing. Yeah, and and that's it. I I just I think that that's the right way to look at it. Well, it's good. And the yeah. reason why I'm bringing it up on the show is because I know everybody listening to the show. It's all over fucking Instagram <laughs> and they're looking at fucking like yeah. uh, YouTube bullshit propaganda. Yeah. And, and, and if you're shaping, if you're deciding to get into the career based upon that stuff, yeah, you're barely scratching the surface. No, cause you're basing it off of a brand. My Instagram page is not or and so for the person. I mean, it, I'm there. I'm in there. Yep. Obviously. Yep. But my, the page is, is or and so for the brand. Yep. Straight up. That's what it is. It's my work. It's my they're intertwined because it's also my personal photography in my stories. I'll share stuff that is a little bit more personal for my day-to-day life, uh, uh, personal beliefs, politics, whatever that all makes it in there. Mm-hmm. But the page, the feed, the images that are posted there, it's been curated. It's curated. It's my yeah. website. It's my yeah, web. Yeah, it's yeah. a lively, it's a live updating web version of my website. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you can't base. And, and even then, honestly, like if we're really kind of digging into this, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the personality of myself that I choose to share on Instagram is also part of my brand. Sure. Right? <laughs> totally, man. Totally. I completely and, understand. Yeah, and, um, you know, my appearance on a podcast is yeah. part of my brand, <laughs> yeah. right? Which is fine because yeah. it's I, I happen to be a very uh, kind of personable, like, op- I, I don't hide parts of myself. Like, I don't give a shit sure. anymore. Sure. Um, uh, so I'm just myself. Uh but it is still I you just you still have to kind of take that with a grain of salt because with sure. a lot of people that's not that's not the case. And even with the people who it is, it's like they we're still choosing what we're showing sure. at all times. Sure. That's true, by the way, not just in, in work. It's just, this is a social media thing in general. And now you like average Joe fucking citizen is do, is doing this. Every now. single person who has an online presence, that online presence is not a reflection of that actual person. 
it's a reflection of the brand of that person. Yep. Even if they're not selling anything, even if they're just, uh, you know, they're just creating a personality that they want to project. Exactly. It's fast. You have to take it with a grain. You have to take that with a grain of salt. Always. Completely. Yes. <laughs> and it's it's fascinating if you go back and look at like old home videos from like the eighties and shit. Uh-huh. Everybody in old home videos is awkward. Everybody in old home videos is just so incredibly real. And you yeah, actually see there's no people. curation. There's zero curation. <laughs> You're just rolling and rolling on yeah. these on, on these tapes. It's nuts, man. And like, well, because there was never a thought of that anyone would see this. Right. You're just filming it for yourself. Right. Really? The old, you know, home videos like that. There's there there's never a. It's cr- dude. I went for I went for a hike. <laughs> Uh, up to Griffith Park or whatever, and I'm yeah. up there walking around, and there was this family, a young family, a couple had two kids, and mm-hmm. uh, one of the kids they they came to the edge of the cliff, and there was a view and all this kind of shit, and one of the kids was like, uh, "I wanted to, I wanted to fucking live feed, yeah," and the kid was under under ten, uh huh, and so she hands him the camera, and he just. Finds the light. Yeah, finds the angle. Finds the angle, finds the face, and then just changes. He goes from being the kid that was like kicking rocks and, you know, causing trouble with his sister up the the trail to suddenly like... You're never going to see that kid on Instagram or on TikTok. Never. and And so we're so involved with this now. So it's changing. It changes how we process people and how we see people and what we think is real and what we define as being real yeah so now apply that to cinematography it's the same thing same thing it's the same thing and to the business where if you're getting into the business because you want to be you want to be that perfectly angled specific genius and i think if you are getting into it for that reason you're tackling it for the wrong point you know what i mean because it doesn't exist it literally doesn't exist. And if that's your main focus, then you could very simply do that now. You can very simply pretend to be a fucking great cinematographer. Yeah, there's this great documentary about this, actually. Really? Yeah, it's called Jawline. It's on Hulu. What's it called? Jawline? Jawline. Check it out. It's not about cinematography, obviously, but it's about um, performance in the age of social media and how oh, everybody is performing. Yes. It basically tracks. It's 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 uh, like a verite doc. Mm-hmm. It's no talking heads, really. Um that it just tracks this kid, like this kind of handsome kid uh, who is sort of like a very minor, minor league influencer, quote unquote. Sure. And, and it's just, it's just him. He's just an average kid from some small town and it's just him like building his brand and his online persona and building a following. And, and it's, I mean, it's cringy and, and, and hard to watch sometimes and, and <laughs> depressing to be honest, but it's a great doc and it, it is sort of the documentary about this topic. And I, and yeah, you should check it out. Yeah. Cause it's a tough thing because, uh, you need to build a brand professionally. Yes. When cinematography, totally you, you do totally do. And, and, and in the industry at large, cause like you were saying with a director, it's the same thing. You are, a story you are a narrative that's that's the brand of the direct of and you they, as a director and because then they can go in there and they can simply sell you and they can put you on a shelf yes and 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 not just can but kind of have to yeah because that's that's how you get anything done sure. <laughs> i get yeah i get it i get it right yeah most people want to walk into the walmart of fucking cinematographers and walk down the shelf and just be like okay so uh this one shoots with this camera 
And this one has shot sneakers, and this one has done this. Okay, what kind of deal could we get? Because there's four of them on the shelf. Yeah, if only it were that simple. <laughs> I'm kind of glad it isn't, though. Uh, they want it to be. Yeah, they I'm, want. It I'm to very be. glad it isn't. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, let's let's change gears a little bit. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, you know why cinematography. Was there like a specific film? Was there something that like really sort of pulled you into it? Sure. Uh, I, when I was a younger kid, I, I was a, a painter and and, and um, I would draw a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that that sort of uh, well, photography became a part of that visual expression uh, in middle school. And and in the background of that, I always loved movies just mm-hmm. as a as a viewer uh, since I was a little kid. The, the usual lineup of, you know, Star Wars, uh, sure. Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, Jurassic Park. And eventually, uh, you know, you get to middle school or whenever and you start to discover Kubrick and mm-hmm. uh, Tarantino. And then high, you get to high school and you discover Kurosawa and all that. So just always into movies. And uh, cinematography just became the sort of inevitable combination of of those two loves visual art and movies nice <laughs> and in the middle was cinematography and that was it that's where we ended up <laughs> you and i are in the same boat brother. yeah <laughs> i had the same similar i was trained to, i wanted to be a comic book artist and mm, and then uh mm-hmm. thought i was going to be a radio dj and then you know directing took both of those things yeah except you kind of are a radio dj now <laughs> <laughs> now i'm using those skills so, yeah, yeah it yeah, all yeah, came back funny. uh but yeah that 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 was really the reason yeah pretty yeah. much yeah that's cool and man. it wasn't a conscious like oh i'm gonna be a cinematographer now right it's a journey of discovery and mm-hmm. you're, you're 12 years old and you're watching the lord of the rings <laughs> special edition behind the scenes and then they interviewed the cinematographer and you're like what's that right what is this what is this person doing here and it all starts to kind of connect, uh, and then you start to shoot things uh, on, uh, you know, mini DV, mm-hmm. uh, editing in camera. Mm-hmm. There's no editing software; it's just shooting in order, mm-hmm. and then just playing back the tape. That's your cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, this was middle school, and then and then cut to now. <laughs> that makes sense and man. you're doing it as a living that, yeah. yeah that's it yeah, yeah it's super direct, cool direct uh, line from there to here <laughs> pretty much that's super cool yeah so um now that you so you've been doing this now for about eight years yes professionally right? and uh you've done uh, a few features i saw that you've done a few features yep, four features a bunch of music videos music videos a bunch of that stuff mm-hmm um, what's the goal for you right now? Where are you trying to, what's the next step for you and your brand? Well, uh, the next step is, I mean, it's really two pronged the, the commercial world. And um, as I'm sure you've experienced quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, developing features, the commercial world and the narrative world are, are as separate as, yeah. you know, dentistry and, and <laughs> pediatrics. It's like, yeah, they're both medicine, sure, but they're, they are unrelated, <laughs> yeah. uh, completely. And so pursuing a, a, a career that involves both requires sort of just focusing on each one separately at the same time. Mm-hmm. So in the commercial world, um, I feel like I'm on a pretty good path. I mean, it's, it's, it's still early days and, and uh, you know, I've, I've yet to kind of really step up and work with the, the top tier commercial production companies, uh, partisan and anonymous and sure smuggler and all that. Sure. So that's sort of the end of that 
path is to work with people who are kind of at the top of the rosters on those uh um uh, at those production companies well at that point you're probably going to end up rubbing uh, elbows with like big feature directors and shit when you're up there. sure there, there ends up being some overlap there for sure yeah yeah um but in the commercial world that's sort of the end the the the, the end goal mm-hmm. uh and yeah but hopefully we're on that path uh there has been growth and momentum in that in that department um obviously not to that point but you you meet people and you you every every new project that's a step up budget wise or sure. scope wise or so on is just the the next step on that journey so so that's good uh and then in the narrative world uh i definitely have a, a longer journey but uh the next immediate step would be to 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 shoot a project that sort of achieves the the uh, level of success Right. That, that we've as a as a culture and industry have uh, subs- ascribed to what constitutes a success for a narrative project. I mean, it's so arbitrary, but but it is what it is, right? It's every year there's only a certain number of projects that I would describe as quote unquote breaking through mm-hmm. that uh, make an impact culturally, even if it's small. Sure, uh, get a theatrical release of some kind, or uh, if it's a streaming release on Netflix, aren't just kind of. I don't know, appear one day and disappear immediately, but yeah. but do kind of create a cultural uh, discussion with, within the industry, within the community that of film lovers, not just people who work in film, but just people who like movies. Sure. Uh, so even a modest success in that uh, regard would would definitely be the next the next step that would then open the doors to more opportunities to to shoot bigger features or, or television shows or stuff like that. I'm currently like just a step before that. Sure. Where I, I, if I get into a room for um, even like a kind of mid budget indie feature mm-hmm. with a few million dollars or something like that, or uh, some streaming show th- I would not get the job because of my resume, because I don't have the, it has nothing to do with your skill. It's totally like, oh, if you had a film in Sundance, no, then sure. fuck off. Like sure. we have a bunch of other DPs who who did, sure, or who were nominated for an Indie Spirit Award, or who were this or that. Yeah. And so until you get to those check marks, until you kind of unlock that next tier, it's like a video game. Really. It's like <laughs> yeah. it's like when you get to the next tier, it it unlocks all these other projects. Yeah. But before you get to that point, yeah, you're you're kind of on your own, just encouraging your writer director friends to to make the projects that they're talking about and try to help them get it done because that's that's how that happens is somebody takes a chance on you and their project breaks through and you break through with it that's just that's like how it works yeah basically and as a cinematographer it's pretty rough because it's not like yeah you're not creating your own content that's going to potentially break through like you said you're nurturing and you're pushing for it to do so but it's completely out of your hands it's yeah in fact it's mostly out of your director's hands too i mean it's yeah totally there's all these other elements at play that you you can sort of just um just play the odds as much as you can and then hope but uh it's impossible to predict because every every time you know you could make a great film and then somebody made a similar movie at the mm-hmm. same time that came out before yours yeah, yeah so then nobody cares about your 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 great film of because course. It was it was already done, of course, and you can't ever predict something like that. Yeah. So, 
But at that point, it's like it's almost just as one example. It's almost as important for you to be making those connections with the directors because, sure, producers will hire cinematographers. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, at least in the narrative world, it yeah. seems like it's relationships with directors that get you that. Yeah, it's, that it's a little bit of both. I mean, on an indie feature, for example, like on a lot of the films that, that I've been circling over the past couple of years, the scenario that ends up happening is the director will have uh, his or her preferences yeah. of, of DPs, but the producers will also come in with their preferences, and then they'll pool together a list, interview everybody, and then eventually make a choice. Yeah. Every once in a while, you'll have a director who is really ride or die with their DP, and they will just put their foot down and insist. And that's great for the DPs, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not always the case. Uh, there's all these other factors sure. uh, at play, especially for first-time directors. I've seen a lot of pressure from producers on first-time directors to hire uh, other DPs who are, quote-unquote, more experienced. It's not really about the experience. It's really more about... The connection. Marketing the, and yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And just their, I don't know, arbitrary uh, markers of what kind of experience they're looking for. Like, oh, this person has shot a film that went to Sundance. So they have that experience. Sure. Not that that's anything, right? Like a film is a film. But uh, that, yeah, there are sort of these arbitrary things that people look for. And sometimes that pressure is hard to resist as a director. And I understand that and empathize with that. It's, it is what it is. I mean, I've seen producers do that game where it's, yeah. uh, you know, this this director doesn't have enough skill and they know, sure. they kind of know that. They know that the director's coming on for some sort of very specific reason and they don't have that filmmaking skill. Yeah, and that's valid. So, that's so they want to have a DP that can, that'll basically carry the fucking load. Sure. And then you're in that scenario, as a DP, you are sometimes in that scenario and you say like, well, well I could do that. Like, you know, sure. I've, I've shot commercials, uh, X budget commercials and... Uh, certain crew sizes and uh, handled far more um, stressful and, and and bigger responsibility scenarios than shooting this this indie movie. Yeah. Uh, so like I could totally handle it, but how do you prove that to somebody you, you can't really? Right. Uh, and that's what these arbitrary markers are for, because they they can say they can look at your resume and say, oh, they shot this movie that was successful so it must have been must have gone well right so i guess they have the requisite experience right they must have like a pouch full of you know festival movie magic totally yes sprink exactly sprinkling all yeah they the right you just roll the camera and just <laughs> sundance just throws <laughs> accolades at you and it's like sundance is actually going what cinematographer was shooting this one yes exactly oh oh it's yeah, this person this right, person they have the right. sundance dust great 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 we'll we'll get the movie we'll get into the festival now. <laughs> yeah that's what it feels like sometimes honestly though you know it's hard to be pissed off at that because i mean it's 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 both easy and hard to be pissed off at that easy because i think that's just succumbing to natural instincts to be annoyed at it but but i think it's i think it's important to to, to keep an eye on the bigger picture and understand where that's coming from mm -hmm. and i do i do i have no ill will for it it's just motivation to keep at it and sure get to that place eventually that's I mean, pretty much it. Yeah, that's like all you can do. Yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, the most frustrating part of this whole business in general, especially for someone that's young and that's sort of coming up into it, is that there's no hack for time. No. There's no cheat for experience. There's, there's none of that. You can't cheat that. You can lie no, you, about it. You can lie, and you, or you can get lucky. Yeah. Which happens. Yeah. But uh, lying sucks. Don't do that. <laughs> You'll eventually get caught. Yes, and uh, nobody likes that. 
and getting lucky is out of your hands. Yeah. So don't, there's no point thinking about that. And stressing about that. Exactly. And there's no point uh, getting pissed off about things that are out of your control. It's right. Very, that's that's the thing. That I mean, that took years to kind of. I still like, have to take that fucking advice, man, because I still get fucking pissed off about shit. And, sure, and I do too. But you talk yourself off yeah, the ledge, and, or you and have people around you that that talk do you right, exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is very important and helpful. But yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, no, I mean that's that's a tough thing to deal with for sure. That's yeah, and it's un- it's unfair. I mean, the whole business is unfair, so don't expect it to be fair. Like, oh, of course, at, it's at unfair. Any po- at any point, it's unfair. Yeah, the most mediocre, mediocre, like. Um, generic, bland stuff, and the people who are least deserving of opportunities will will always <laughs> yes. get them. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. just that's just always going to happen in any line of work. This is not exclusive to the film industry, <laughs> where promotion and opportunity and all of that is based on uh, nepotism or some ephemeral, impossible to uh, specifically outline characteristics. Um, people who are undeserving opportunity will, will get them. Yeah. Uh, and so what are you going to do about it? Right. Like <laughs> stress about it and be pissed off and be annoyed at the unfairness and the, yeah. uh, the, the injustice of it all, or just do your part to do your best and get to that place and then be kinder to people when you're in that position. Right. Like, yeah. That's really sure. All you can do. Fuck yeah, man. Like, <laughs> like understand and learn from it. Yeah. But then also when you're dealing with it and I have a lot of trouble with this, when you're dealing with it, if you're feeling that, then go make something. Sure. Like, that anger. Literally. Yeah. If yeah. You're that feeling that anger. Yeah, like, use it. Like I'll do a podcast or something like just go fucking use it and, and build something. And then the thing that I can always rely on, with being creative is that when I'm done making something, mm-hmm. I feel better. Oh, like of course. Always. It's cathartic. It's just, yeah. And no one can take that from you. No, no, no job, like no bullshit fucking casting session. Yep. <laughs> they can't, they can't take that from you. Like no, you, they can't, you can still make something and you I can still that. make something on your own. And after you do so, you end up becoming so empowered, personally empowered by totally. what the experience that you put yourself through. Yeah, and like the world at large is so shit right now yeah. that there's so much to be pissed off about and to channel into creative work. Yeah, that uh, there's 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 really no lack of it, and I think that the only thing you can do in the face of that is to just carve out a little pocket of the world for yourself. Yeah. That is just and good and and try to bring as many people into it as you can. True. Like that's it. True. <laughs> um, you can't change everyone else, but yeah. you can change you can change yourself and you can change the people immediately around you for Ins- the better. Inspire and influence. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big part. And of give it. opportunities where you can and use the position that you're in and how far you've already gotten to to instead of being pissed off at the gates that are closed in front of you go back and like open the gates behind you. Right. Like yeah. that's the real, that's how you really stick it to that system. <laughs> yeah, so. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm a big believer in that for sure. Well, yeah. And then that, that's great because then yeah. there's, you sort of breaking down the, the fear of sharing mm-hmm. that has been around for so fucking long in yeah. all these businesses where it's just like, I don't want to tell them what lenses I used. I don't want to tell them any of these specifics. Yeah. And I think that true artists or true creators understand that what they have that's valuable you can't take from yep a hundred percent um this is a loaded word but uh, i do think that that mentality comes from a place of supremacy 
Uh Um, And uh, that kind of gatekeeper mentality is no different than, well, I'll get a little political. (laughs) Uh, That kind of gatekeeper mentality is no different than saying like, well, I only think a certain type of person deserves to live in this country. For example, right. It's the same mentality as saying, I only think a certain type of person deserves to know this knowledge, how to light this scene or lenses, something that arbitrary. Right. Right. Um, but I think it's the same mindset and I, and I, I hate that. Like, fuck that mindset. And, uh, and I, yeah, I, I want to do everything in my power to like break that down pretty much as, as macro as it is on the kind of national political scale and as micro as it is in our little universe of cinematography. Like, I just don't like that, that gatekeeper mentality. I just think, I think it's bullshit and I think it's, it comes from the same place as it does politically. Fear, 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 fear. uh, insecurity, uh, this feeling of something that you have held on to or possessed being, um, gone or taken away somehow uh which is obviously not what's happening sure uh with when you share knowledge you're not taking anything away from anybody uh except the ability to lord that knowledge over people uh so yeah and and yeah you bump into that quite a bit it's definitely an old school mentality i think a lot of the younger generation youtube digital cinematography like all of these things have helped break down these barriers quite a bit yeah, there's still a lot of a lot of gatekeeping going on, but it's it's gotten much better. Yeah, than it was when, in even just thirty years ago, when it was like you had to you had one option. You had to shoot on on th- well, I guess you had technically three options. You could shoot on thirty five millimeter film. You could shoot on sixty millimeter film. If you're lucky, you could shoot on sixty five millimeter film, <laughs> sure. seventy millimeter film. Sure, um, that was it. There were uh, you know f- three vendors that were manufacturing film cameras. There were two vendors manufacturing film stocks. Yeah. Uh, th- that, that was it. You couldn't make movies <laughs> any other way, really. Right. The early days of digital technology then, of like video. Sure, um, sure. But th- then you're dealing with cinematographers at that point that have such a... They in, in themselves, they are a gateway to the image because they're mm-hmm. the only ones that know the exposure. They're the only ones that know how to process it. Like you're <clears> actually not seeing that stuff. Totally. Yeah. Cause it goes, and right. It's, it's, it, there's a whole technique that, uh, there's a complicated technical process that sure. certain people have the knowledge of how to, of how to do it and the access to the tools to do it. Yeah. Cause all of this is, it's, we're not just talking about the cameras and the film stocks who, you know, who's developing the film, who's, right. who controls the labs, who controls this, who controls that. It's very limited. Yeah. All of that's gone. Yeah. Not that, not that film is gone. I mean that the gatekeeper, uh, uh, element of that is gone because digital technology broke all of that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that's a great thing. As much as it's easy to complain about how, oh, well, giving a bunch of people access to this technology is like diluting mm. the the pool or whatever, but it's like that's nonsense because the 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 cream is always going to rise to the top, no matter how wide the coffee mug <laughs> sure yeah, well that's a good analogy <laughs> yeah. there. but uh I'm finding it <laughs> but it, yeah but but it's true right like if you're good if you're if you have um developed or fostered an artistic inclination creative inclination yeah it doesn't matter that a million other people have access to the same tools that you that shouldn't matter and it doesn't matter and if you're not a piece of shit 
Well, that's that's, that, that, yeah. that's that's a big thing. And that is a huge thing. Because in a, speaking on a macro or in a micro level, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're so very focused on 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 how horrible people are on a micro level right now and uh-huh. how they do things at at certain extremes. Yeah, where if you back out and you examine these people, especially in our industry, mm. you see how they interact with people and humans, and it's just like. There are a lot of pieces of shit. There's a lot of people out there that are yeah. pieces of shit. And you know when you're being a piece of shit, you know. There isn't, unless you're, you know, chemically yeah. unbalanced. Yeah, yeah. I think a, a small subset of people are just so, like you were saying before, like just kind of sold on the mystique of their own brand. Yeah. That they can't see it. Yep. Uh, but it's because they don't see themselves as a person anymore. They just see themselves as a, right. as, as an image. Uh, so in those cases, maybe they're they're just unaware or, or that's the, not an excuse also no, not so it doesn't no, really matter not at all and, and at, <laughs> at the end of the day when you're a fucking shithead to a pa <laughs> yeah and you treat someone that is well below you like yeah. less than you are mm-hmm. um and for some reason that's celebrated in our industry for some reason <laughs> to a certain yeah. extent at the audience itself is like hey fast completely fascinated with like elitism and uh wealth and like all that kind of stuff we still celebrate that shit we still give a ton of attention to like the the actor that flips out on fucking set yeah that's yeah that one bothers me quite a bit because um well there's a little bit of that going on this award season that i'm not i'm not a fan of yeah man celebrating like what is a good performance is it you know fucking abusing (laughs) the crew around you being, being an asshole and like breaking your bones and doing unsafe things like that's a good performance i don't know i don't know i don't know either (laughs) i mean to me the answer is no right i don't think that should be encouraged or there's this whole mentality of um even just self-abuse of like oh look how many hours i worked without sleeping look look how i deprive myself look how look how i i I just i saw this um it's actually a twitter thread it was like something about started this conversation was instigated about interns and mm-hmm. uh how it's not okay that this practice still exists uh unpaid you know having people do unpaid labor and blah 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 blah. and then of course some idiot asshole like chimes in with the old nugget of like if you are not you know busting your ass and and, and working yourself to near death in your 20s you will never be successful and it's like, that's so wrong. Like, that's just such a wrong way to do it. Because the funny thing is, is when you ask people who've done that, they will all say that they they regret it. Sure. And that they could have gotten to where they are today without having done that. Like, sure. None of them will say, oh, the reason I am a successful entrepreneur, director, actor, whatever it is, is because I nearly killed myself in my 20s. Like, none of them would say that. And so... Why are we so obsessed with it? Like, why, yeah, why do we why do why we, we look at it from the outside and celebrate that? I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I don't know why we why we glamorize and glorify uh, self abuse and abuse of others. Yeah, and then these don't people that become monsters. So you're sort of sitting there going like, oh, yeah. yeah. I wish I had an answer to that one. But this goes back to this other topic of like, there's we can't change that. Yeah. Uh, so the only thing we can do is not be that person and then just foster the world the immediate world around us to be different and then if enough people do that it'll change everything else and you see that you see that happening yeah uh, everywhere i've seen a huge shift in the industry um with the type of people that i work with um their personalities their approach like like crew uh, and directors everybody Mm -hmm. uh 
and there's definitely kind of an age gap in in relation to that i mean i don't want to be ageist but i definitely see this this is more common among uh millennials and and gen z just younger people tend to be like this naturally more for some reason don't I don't know I mean, why. I mean, Maybe the yeah, I mean, 2008 the, financial crash fucked us all. Well, yeah, I don't but know I mean, what it is. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, it's the effects of the slow transition of all this stuff sort of integrating itself within our society at sure. this point. Where but that's the like, pr- exactly that's the proof in the pudding. That's where it's starting to kick in, and there, and then there's this delicate. There's two sides to that story. This is delicate game of the uh, lack of appreciation for experience that a lot of younger people have because they feel like they should be in it, they should have it, they should win it like sure. instantly that you get in. And so it's like this double-edged sword. It's a really hard thing because I'm a Generation Xer, so I'm like weird little... Yeah, Gen X is always kind of caught in the middle of this whole struggle. Fucking crazy as shit on yep. both ends where it's like, will you guys just fucking die yep. and get out of here? Yep. You know, and then it's like, whoa, 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 chill, chill right. And also out. like, damn youths. Yeah, <laughs> like, like mellow for a second. Like, yeah, so you're in the middle of it. <laughs> And I try to play, I try to surround myself with this. I've always done this. I surround myself with people that are younger than me. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm constantly trying to check in because you do realize that we all base what we do. And I'm getting off on a tangent, but we all base what we do every day upon how we were brought up and the scenarios that we're put through and the lessons that we learn through those scenarios as we're put through those scenarios. And the younger generation has come up in a different way because they didn't have, like I didn't have to deal with having to go to war mm-hmm. that my grandfather had to deal with. And that, you know, and that people since 2002 have had to deal with. Right, right. That's it's, my generation. Right. So the, like, it's it's fascinating to see how we all exchange it because we live so fucking long now, how we all have to <laughs> yeah. have to mix with this thing. Yeah. Um. And I, I, the relevance to the show with that is that we're telling stories. Yeah. And so um, if you're so close-minded when you're on set, if you're so close-minded around your crew and the team and the mm-hmm. people that you work with, and you're not fucking learning from them, yeah. I don't know. And I'm going to make a controversial statement here. What right do you have to tell stories? Then? Yeah. If you are, it, it's a very simple thing. If you are unable to empathize with human beings in your life with real people that surround you. How can you ever be trusted to empathize with a fictional character that you're telling their story? Do you say it so more eloquently than I do? Yeah. It's like, (laughs) because the two are, are the same. (laughs) And that's it. It's like, that's it. Yeah. Uh, And yeah. So don't be a piece of shit. Don't be a piece of shit. That's Uh, the takeaway. I would say, I give you a couple takeaways. Don't be, don't be a piece of shit. Understand that there is no shame in saying that I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. Uh, understand that there is nothing wrong with not being there yet because you just don't have the time in. Yeah. It's 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 that simple. Because you don't have the time in or you didn't happen to get lucky. Yep. You can't base your idea of success off of people that got lucky. And if you stick with it, it may take you five years, it may take you six years. It may take you 20 years. It may take you 20 years. It, it's, it, that, that has happened. I have plenty of friends who have been grinding at it for a lot longer than I have. And Fuck have yeah. only just Started really kind crack. of hit, hit that level of success. Yeah. So then, then, <laughs> then you ask yourself the ultimate question, right? Are you doing this for that top point? 
And is that the only reason why you're doing this whole this whole thing? Yeah. Are you doing it because you want to be the person getting the gold statue? Are you doing this because mm. you want to be the followers on Instagram? On you Instagram, want the adoration. Or are you doing it, and the only thing that's making you happy is just to be on a set and to be a, a feature filmmaker or a feature film cinematographer, and everything else up to that point is just that end goal. We all have that. I had that. Of course. But you have to remember that that may take fucking 20 years. Yeah. And so if that's the only thing that's going to make you happy, if that's, the, if that's it, yeah, you're a miserable prick the whole fucking time that you're not getting it. And you're stressing yourself out and you're riding that anxiety and that anxiety is taking control uh-huh, and you're of taking you. it out on other people. And you're taking it out on your, your family. You're taking it out on all sorts of other things. You have to remember that the reason to get in this business, from my personal opinion, the reason to get in this business is because all of the learning, all of the experiences that you get to have are fucking great. Every little bit of it is you and me. We just met like what, an hour and a yeah. half ago? We're connecting on a huge uh, level right no, now. No, yeah. I mean, I haven't had a conversation like this with with, with close friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> but but I but I I love it and I love that. I love I could, I, yeah, I just, I couldn't agree more. I endorse this message. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is correct. This is great. (laughs) But that's the point. That's the point of the show. That's the reason why you're fucking here today. You know, we could sit around and we could talk about sweet lenses all day and we could talk about all that stuff. And there's a lot of really great nerdy shit to be had with that. Sure. I prefer to have that nerdy shit when, when, when I'm there, when you're on set and you're playing with the stuff and there's something really great in the prep, which is really great when you're director cinematographers uh talking together and the cinematographers like check these lenses out and these are really great right. and these are the eyes of the piece and let's try to figure that stuff out that's when you get real fucking nerdy with it you know sure there's a time and a place there's a time and a place but that's not that can't be everything no that can't be every it's not it's just not everything no so i mean how are you how's life for you because you how's life for you you a happy guy you fucking you seem like a happy guy yeah, I'd say I'm, I'd say I'm happy. Yeah, how's like how like how's the mix of like uh, industry and personal life for you? Have you been able to make? That I don't work? really have a personal life to be honest. <laughs> I know what that's. But but it's it's not because I like work all the time. It's just I don't know. It just hasn't been a priority for a while, and 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 that's okay. I'm like genuinely at peace with that. Um, I like my personal time and my, sure. you know, tra- I just, I just traveled to Southeast Asia for two weeks which oh, is by wow. myself. Wow. That's rad. Yeah. And, uh, I try to do that every, I, I mean, I do that every year. I try to do it multiple times a year, just go on a trip somewhere, sometimes just somewhere local. Yeah. yeah. Um, I still have a few more national parks in Utah on my list. Got to drive out there do uh grand staircase and uh talk about making you feel like a small fucking thing when you go out to utah well yeah and also talk about looking for inspiration in the natural world yeah you know that's where you see some shit yeah take pictures of that yeah remember it enjoy it feel it right and bring that into your work right this is all connected um and uh yeah i mean i i watch a lot of movies and tv (laughs) i which I could call research, but it's really just, I just love it. I just love that those things. And I like seeing them. I like see everything in theaters, basically. Uh, AMC, a list shout out, sponsor me, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, sponsor all of us. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and I mean, you know, work is work. Work is good. I, just, I, I could easily sit here and complain about it, but I also really can't because, mm. 
I'm lucky to to have have the career that I have already, and there's still a long way to go. And you've got some gorgeous but images. You've got you. some really pretty stuff yeah, but, that you should yeah, be proud of. Thanks, and I, I am proud of it, and, and yeah. I'm, I'm proud of the work so far, and I'm excited to see where it goes. And you know, I have I have great friendships and um, with people here, great community. Yeah. Uh, I only moved to LA last year, right? So the, the part of the personal life thing was it's just. I don't know. Restarting everything here is. I'm doing the exact. Yeah, same it's thing a whole right thing. Now. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. But but yeah. Overall, I, and again, the, the rest of the world is so shit that <laughs> it's like I feel like if I if I didn't have some modicum of sort of personal uh, satisfaction at least with uh, life and work, uh, I would just be in a pit of despair. Sure. <laughs> over everything else. Sure. Which man. I am, but. Yeah. Yeah, balance it with your with being able to step back and say like, well, things aren't bad in my life, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they could be better, but they're not bad. <laughs> well, then you look at it from a further perspective because you look at like uh, the past what fifty years, sure, or you know sixty years uh-huh. in America. You know, every generation. I would say, with the exception of maybe like the early nineties. Yeah, every generation was like, "It sucks right now." Like, it, yeah, like it consistently sort of hits that point where you're looking around, going, "Like, we're about to have nuclear war with fucking Cuba. We're in some sort of uh, missile crisis with the fucking bushes." Yeah, like, no, we had a great window from '92 to 2001. Right in there was when it was just quiet. There was this great window, you know, yep. Britney Spears and the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> We're there. TRL and uh, yeah, tie dye and <laughs> Tamagotchi and it was great. Yep, yep. for for yep. nine years, yep. it was awesome. Yeah, that was my childhood, right? So it's <laughs> like I think that's another thing, by the way. This generational thing is like part of the reason millennials are so fucked up, is because it's we have this like idealized idyllic vision of what our childhoods were. Sure, and it's like because they kind of were, because in the nineties that that was it. Like sure. it was it was it was pretty innocent. Uh, no, well, it's pre-internet. I mean, the internet was early stages, but it was like you would go online for half an hour, and it was so it was so wholesome. It was like there yeah, were yeah. like just and fucking have Star to, Wars forums. Like it, that was it. it was this, even if it wasn't wholesome, if you were going on there to look for porn, it was still like pixelization. no, it was, it was wholesome like, porn. I mean, it was like yeah. The, this is the thing is right. Like it was Lisa loading Larry yeah, loading a JPEG like for for ten minutes, and then and then you get a call on the other line, and the internet cuts out. It was innocent. It was innocent. Um, and and then nine eleven like fucked us all up. Yeah, and everything that happened since. Obviously, it's not just that. It's like with the catalyst that that created in sure. culture sure. and everything, sending sending everyone off to war and all that. Stuff. I mean, I would I even go, I would even go. I would even yeah, because you. I would even go back to the Gulf War, like the television, like when they were televising the early. Yeah, well, it depends. Of the Gulf it depends if uh, how old because millennial obviously it covers a large span. So it's like if you're a, 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 an older millennial born like in the early '80s, sure, then you have a Gulf War. But even then, like post Gulf War, there were still those years. Sure. Uh, the average millennial born in like the mid to late '80s or early '90s missed that. Like I was too young to remember that. I mean, right. I was obviously alive, but I was right. four, so it's right, like right, I didn't right. register. Um, and then, yes, I don't know. I, I I'm a subscriber to that to that theory. Uh, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it was just one calamity after the other. After that point, yeah, just one thing after the other. But um, I don't know. And, and then social media just makes it worse. Like the, the rise of 
all of that. I mean, I think in many ways, actually, Gen Z is like more fucked up because of that. Because like, I even though things were kind of messed up in the 2000s, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, 2005 and six, um, things were bad, but like you still didn't have it. Uh, Instagram <laughs> televised <laughs> and Facebook yeah. as a, as a child, yeah. like you didn't have that, uh, the, there weren't smartphones. You didn't have to constantly, um, be performing for other people and like living through this measurable numeric population, uh, uh popularity contest sure. as a, as a, as a teen. teen, as a preteen. So yeah, yeah, in many ways, I, I think they, I think they have it worse Jesus Christ, because, yeah, because at least I, we could, because I was in high school, 98, 97, 98. Yeah. So we could hide. Yeah. Like you can hide. Like if, if there was the popular kids and there was a popular group, you could find some little cluster. You yeah, yeah you find your people, you find the AV club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yourself. And you just the hide nerds. Be, Yeah, be totally fine with it. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's a lot more difficult now to do so. It is. It is. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah, I, I don't, it is fascinating. I don't envy it whatsoever. And I have younger cousins who are that age and I, I just, I don't, and don't envy it. You, you have this habit because you know, I'm 41. So you have this yeah. fucking habit of like going back, going, well, you know, back when I was a kid, it was a little bit easier, but then, then you look at it and you go through it and you go, yeah, but back when I was a kid, there was a lot of fucking morons then too. And the, sure. like, like this, like the, us as a populace have, we've just, we're such a slow creature to evolve. <laughs> yeah, it's as a as a as a culture. Yeah, as a, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a as a, as a fucking as an animal. It's yeah, such yeah. A, as a, as, yeah, right. As a species, slow <laughs> species to evolve. Yeah. And we each one that comes out after because I remember when we came out, my generation was just like we're better than the fucking hippies and you know like every sure, yeah every generation that comes out is like we're gonna do it fucking better than the guys before us. Yeah. And there's a level of interesting stuff that happens with that younger bit where it's like you're re-energizing us yes there's this like uh lust for learning there's this is lust for fucking life that comes out of that which is really fucking great right um but the thing that we never really do here in america which i feel like they do in like japan pretty well is sort of respect age and respect um experience and and not to the point where it's like me having more experience i'm going to wield it over you it's Take yeah. take what I've learned. Yeah. And use that as a footstool. Yeah. But that's why. That's why that exists in other cultures and doesn't exist here. Because here, the pervading mentality is when I've reached that that age, that point where I've made it and I've made mine, yep. I'm not gonna fucking share it with you. Yeah, it's your child. True. That's the difference. Is it the reason there's reverence for true. uh elder generations in Japan and everything is because the the cultural concept there is they spent their whole lives giving to the younger generation. So when they reach a certain stage in life, it's our responsibility to give back with support, reverence, respect, right? But that that respect goes both ways. And and I don't think that that is a part of American culture, that respect going both ways, (laughs) uh, generationally, uh, in terms of class, in terms of, uh, you know, socioeconomic circumstances that the respect does not go both ways uh in crossing the 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 the, the division lines yeah um yeah also check out the movie parasite oh it's, it's about this I have topic a screener. i haven't watched it yet you haven't seen it yet i have not i've seen, seen it three times oh, so far all right i'm gonna watch it I'm with watching, more I'm watching. this is a movie about this topic specifically so very timely 
Yeah. Better win best picture. Let's go. <laughs> this will be a little time capsule of just before it won best picture. <laughs> you can you can use one of one of two sound bites here. Either either use me saying like, oh yeah, Parasite's gonna win best picture. I I predicted it. Or or me sitting here saying, oh, 1917 won best picture and Parasite <laughs> didn't get its due. Yeah, it's very true. One of those two will come true. We'll see. <laughs> well, it's been good talking about all this stuff. And and I only bring this stuff up because it's 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 prominent in my mind right now. And I think that, you know, in the dangers that we're dealing with in our industry with the pendulum swinging super far in both directions, we often forget, I think, on a personal level and a very small level, how to be decent to people. And I think that if you can build... You can, like you were saying before, you could build your own little community mm-hmm. within the work that you do out of decency and out of sharing and out of growth. Yeah. And I think if you're projecting that in itself, and that isn't something that's tweetable, that's not like the. Yeah, it, the cat hang, the cat poster version of this. Yeah, man. <laughs> or, or, or like the fucking, you know, militant sort of attack on, on, on someone that's not doing what it is that you're doing yeah. and how you're doing it. It's. Yeah, it's it's more fuck telling people that you're doing this amazing thing. Yeah, and really sort of focus the same way that you would focus and learn about cinematography and lenses, in um and composition and blocking or or uh, acting style. Also learn how to be a good social fucking person mm-hmm. and understand that this business isn't just you. Yeah, it's not me. Yeah, it's the it's the collection of all these human beings, and if we want to foster an industry that is inclusive, truly inclusive. Yes. And not just reactionary because this industry is fucking reactionary. Yes. Very much so. And that's happening right now. A hundred percent to the point where it's being uh, just as non-inclusive as it was before, but just at the opposite end of the spectrum. Sure. So if you're going to create an environment that is inclusive and you are going to do that, then I think, in my opinion, it's about focusing on yourself. It's about coming to that point and, and looking at yourself going, why am I doing it? Why does it make me feel good? And what kind of stuff do I want to project? Yeah, focusing on yourself as opposed to focusing on what are other people doing. Exactly. You know, and, and yeah, and I, I hope that, that somebody's takeaway listening to this who is maybe at that stage of like two years in is that is just to remember like you're you're doing okay, you know, and and you're you're on your you're on your own journey. What other people are doing doesn't matter because it's all performance, it's all curation, it's all circumstance, it's out of your control. The only thing you have control over is you and how you deal with these anxieties and 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 deal with the people in your life and how you treat the people in your life and how you treat yourself and what you bring to your work and beyond like that's it that's what you have control over and 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 remembering that is i think difficult sometimes uh but yeah that's that's key that's the key i think that's a good place to end the episode yeah i think that's a good ender uh i i want to also tell a quick anecdote you can use this somewhere or not that it was just re- what you said reminded me of it. Somebody, uh, I, I saw this comment going around online about uh, 1917. Mm-hmm. And it was in response to Roger Deakins uh, a- answering a question on his forum. Because as you may or may not know, Roger Deakins answers 
every question that people ask him on his on his form. He just has a form on his website, and the dude himself just sits for hours and Jeez. answers all these questions. Wow, it's a great resource. Most of the questions are silly, but it's still a great resource. Um, so somebody asked him, "How did you control exposure on 1917? You're moving from indoors to outdoors. There's cloud coverage change, stuff like that. But the exposure is solid throughout." And so his response was, "It's just uh, iris poles. It's old school technique. He's just closing down." If he's going outside from a trench, he starts at a 2.8 and then he just closes down to an 8 or an 11. And when you watch the film, you don't really notice it. You know, you don't, it, it's, it's similar to what your eyes do. That is exactly. And they were actually, that's what he, uh, he would say is he's replicating human vision. Yeah. So some, you know, person, I, I was going to say jerkwad, but some person <laughs> goes on this whole rant of like, well, Roger Deakins, why didn't you use the Cinefade, uh, which allows you to maintain your uh, uh, f-stop while changing uh, your exposure? And it's like, you should have done that. Like, he should have used the Cinefade. Uh. Um, and it's like, no, he shouldn't have. Because why don't you just focus on yourself and, like, let Roger Deakins do whatever he wants? If he has determined correctly that an iris pull would be, A, the simplest way to do that and not have to deal with another piece of technology when it's an already complicated shoot with all this tech going on. So that's number one. Sure. And number two is something that is uh, seamless and unnoticeable by the audience, which is the point is for the exposure shift to happen in a way that's not perceived by the audience. Mm -hmm. And he also knows that the audience is not going to perceive the subtle shift in depth of field that happens when you stop down from a 2.8 to an 8. Obviously it's there, but a general lay person is not going to notice it. Right. So that's it. That's why he did it that way. And so this whole mentality of like, well, he should have used the Cinefader because then he could have controlled his, why would he seed control away from his uh, aperture? And it's like, because he doesn't give a shit about it. <laughs> that's why it's because it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, that, apropos the comment of uh, just focus on yourself and, <laughs> and don't be an asshole. Like that kind of ticks both of those boxes. <laughs> uh, that asshole. <laughs> it's just, there's, there's, Sorry to the person who did said that, who I don't, there's no way that whoever, I don't even remember who it was, but if for some reason they are listening to this and feel like, oh, this person's putting me on blast. I am. <laughs> that is what I'm doing. <laughs> well, and also right now you're an asshole. You can fix that. Like sure. there's, there's a period of time that you can go through to fix this buddy. But at the end of the day. Um, what are you doing? Yeah. Are you are you that guy that goes to fucking NAB every year and learns about this tech gear and then buys all that shit that these salesmen are giving you and then you're coming back <laughs> and looking for for opportunities and excuses to fucking inject them in mm -hmm. the conversations? Because it doesn't, you don't literally don't know anything new. Yeah. You're literally just, it's like going to the car dealership <laughs> and reading about the specs on the new fucking Ford Focus and then like getting into a conversation at Dunkin' Donuts where someone got into a car accident and they were like, well, if you had used you the, <laughs> the specific, uh, you know, braking mechanism on the, or right. if you had used these brake pads and you're just sitting there looking at you like that other person just looks at you and goes, A, you're so close minded, B, you haven't experienced anything in fucking real life yeah. and C, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> and dude it's so funny when we we went to uh the uh quasar event uh-huh uh like a week ago a week two weeks ago <clears throat> and we're hanging out at this event and i got late because i'm new out here 
So right. like East Coaster, and I've talked about yeah, this. On driving, to, yeah. <laughs> but but also like you know I got invited because we had Tim from Quasar on last week. He was right. on the show, and so uh, he had said, "Mike, come see this thing." So I went, and uh, being from the East Coast, whenever there's like a like a manufacturer's event, it was like okay, so maybe there'd be like twenty people there, maybe there'd be a couple of tables full of shit. Yeah. I show up. Not here. Jesus Christ. No, not there's, in LA. There's a fucking line that just wrapped the building twice. Yeah. And I'm standing outside in this line with a bunch of young filmmakers and gaffers and technicians and producers. And and it's fascinating to watch this group of people that get stuck st- standing in the cold for 45 minutes. And we're all underdressed because no one dresses correctly. <laughs> And it was cold last It was week. fucking cold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so you're standing in this line and I'm with the rest of them. And you just, it's, it's, it's a crazy social experience because <laughs> you're in line with people and you're all quietly staring straight ahead <laughs> and slowly moving up. And then the line starts moving and then you start fidgeting and then you just sort of look at the person next to you that's fidgeting and you watch, you watch the dominoes fall. So you watch the first person go like, yeah, it's really cold out here, huh? And the other person's like, yeah, I'm fucking freezing. I didn't wear the right outfit. And it's like, okay. And then they have some sort of like sort of personal connection that happens there. And then it's then it then it immediately goes to like, so are you uh are you uh a cinematographer? Are you a shooter? Yeah. And uh someone's like, Yeah, yeah, I'm a cinematographer, I'm a shooter. And so then these two people start to talk about gear. Yeah, right up front. It's like this is why I don't go to these events, by the way. <laughs> right up front. It's like, well, what do you think of the new Sony Venice? Or what do you think of the new well, you know, in my experience, when I'm shooting the thing, like I think the color spectrum's and so then that starts. And then then that starts the conversation spreading. And so someone, someone else chimes in. Well, chime actually. In. Well, you know, I've used the fucking. And so you're in yeah, this been line. in this exact circumstance. Yeah, you're standing in this line. And I'm keeping quiet because I'm just seeing it happen. And I'm observing how this thing goes through. And the whole time I'm sitting there going like, you are all prime candidates to listen to this fucking podcast. Yeah. Like, I literally just wanted to go down and like hand out cards. And yeah, like, here, to my download show. on iTunes. Let's go. Uh, so I'm listening to all these guys talk. iTunes doesn't exist anymore. Sorry. Your podcast app. Apple, whatever, Apple yeah. Podcasts. Whatever you use for your podcast. Uh, Spotify. <laughs> yeah. So then you listen to these guys just, and girls, just spewing out documentation that you heard at NAB or that you read online. And then they're, they're defining themselves by it. So they're going through the process of saying, I'm a red shooter. I only fucking shoot red. I oh, only God. do this thing. Or I only do this, this thing. 2012. Like what? It, it still exists. <laughs> and so I can't keep my mouth shut. So I eventually just stand there and I go, someone was like, yeah, I shot uh, this thing with the red camera. And I go, let's see it. <laughs> Pull it up on your phone. Let's see it. And let's see if it's interesting. Yeah. And what life experience did you go through that informed this piece that you're going to show me <laughs> like show me something of, of 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 interest right and there was like one or two people in line that had something that was really interesting but the rest of the time all these people could do they're struggling for a way to define themselves in this industry and they're struggling for a way to to um bond and they're doing it the wrong way and they're doing it through gear and they're doing it through equipment and they're doing it through the simplest thing that you can do which is purchase something <sighs> yeah and and I think that's the speaking about a show that is about cinematography. I think that's the antithesis of what you're supposed to be doing. We should be in line, and you should be telling me about Utah, 
pulling me up pictures of fucking Utah. Yeah. And showing me like the amazing light that she saw in Utah and that kind of shit. That's what I want to fucking get into. Yeah, that that's all I want to talk about anyway. I don't care about fucking the new Sony camera. What do I give a shit? They've just got to a point where the manufacturers have brainwashed us to the point where they yeah, think. they have. I mean, uh, well with Red and some other manufacturers, I I hate to invoke names, but with them it's very prominent. There is kind of a cult right mentality that has, that fucking has Apple developed. Yep. Yep. Apple. I mean, I sit here with an iPhone sure. in my pocket and an Apple Watch on my wrist. But sure. but even then, it's like I don't subscribe to the that kind of culty. Um, I mean, look look what culty mentality has has gotten us <laughs> in the world. In this we country, just don't learn from it. No, we, we just don't learn from it. Yeah, but and as progressive as these, like you could ask any of these people about politics in that fucking line, it's, it's and they'll be progressive and they'll go, "I believe in all this stuff," and I'm like, "But you're still." spouting the stuff that's manipulating you and for the love of fucking god remember what the core of all this stuff is and it's about telling stories it's about having these experiences yeah and be proud of your experiences yeah just like go go watch a play or something you know don't, oh my god <laughs> don't go to nab go 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 to new york and just watch a bunch of plays yeah. on broadway i don't know it's how much better you co- how much did it cost you to go to nab oh and walk it's around? cheaper it's cheaper to go to new york yeah dude. and go to broadway Hundred percent. I've done NAB five times because I, as a sponsored dude, I have to go out oh, there. Sure, and speak it's different. It's business. You got to go do it. Like, I fucking hate it, man. Yeah, <laughs> I've I never fucking, been, dude. Never been. It's like it's yeah. so huge. It's like I forget how many blocks it is inside. Yeah, well, it's this massive, it's uh, humongous convention center, right? And then you go, and I'll, I'm the first one to talk about this on the show because I get sponsored by people. I've been sponsored by people in the past. Most of my sponsors that I stick with now have filtered into being really good human beings and that's why they're here. Right. But at the end of the day, you're talking to a guy that's got a warehouse full of shit that he needs to fucking sell. Yeah. And that's fine. I empathize with that. I understand that. I don't blame them. But don't have that be the definition when you're standing in line because you don't know who the fuck you're standing next to. And you're standing in line and you're like, well, this is how I define myself. I shoot with this one specific Yeah, this camera. is what you're starting with? This what? is the con- This is how we're initiating this conversation? Okay. What? Yeah. Sad. This is why I don't own gear. I've never owned gear for that reason. Yeah. I don't blame you. Yep. I don't, dude, I'm the same way. I can't. How do you keep up with it? Oh, God. I would, that would give me way too much anxiety. Um, keeping up with it financially. I mean, as an investment, it's like garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. It, it, not to say that it can't be profitable. It obviously can, but it, it, it's risk. You have to be, you can't be risk averse and invest in film gear. This doesn't work that way. <laughs> and if you do invest in film gear, then you're a rental house. And then sure. And then you're, you're not, a, you're not a DP, which is a, a main reason I've avoided it. Yeah. Cause you're essentially having to feed that beast. And how often, like if you, I, I talk about this when I did the ad reads. Yeah. How often do you go, go back and look at how many times as a shooter this year that the person asked you, hey, can you just bring your camera? Like how often do you get paid for your fucking camera rig? Yeah, well, for or me, can it's you just zero, but... <laughs> but most people are like, can you just throw in the camera? And a lot of DPs oh, have sure. to throw in their package to get the well, job. Well, when you're starting out, especially, and that's part of that gauntlet. So it's yeah. like, you want to go through that gauntlet in debt on top of everything? Yeah. I don't know. Right. I don't know. It works for some people. This is why I don't want to knock it across the board, but you, you have to be really smart about it yeah. um, to not put yourself in a hole or just avoid the hole, just what I did. <laughs> well we've been ranting, better or worse we've been ranting even longer and I, we can sit here and talk all after fucking noon man yes yes um, we'll save it for, for the next time yeah but <laughs> let me just do this let me let me just wrap it out because 
we'll get a good solid ending here. Um, if you had, this is usually where I, you know, give advice to sure to folks on the show. So let's think of a good, you know, what about this? Cause we didn't really talk about this. If, if you're a cinematographer and you finally got to the point where you have to go in for an interview, mm. right? What, what advice would you give somebody that is going in for an interview with a producer or a director? Honestly, this sounds so corny, but like, I think the best advice is to just be yourself as much as possible and let your personality shine through. Uh, at the end of the day, your work is going to speak for itself. If you're going into an interview, the, the person you're interviewing with is looking at your work. So you don't need to talk about that too much. Uh, your website, your Instagram, your reel, whatever it is, should speak for itself. Uh, and I think it's so. I think that the the most value you can take out of that time is to show just by demonstrating without calculating it what kind of person you are to the producer or director or whoever you're meeting with. And I think that that will end up leaving more of an impression than if you just sat there and talked about your work. Because they they can they can see what they you they can see what they need from your work or in an ideal scenario your work should be able to you should be able to say everything you need to say through your work through, through what you yeah. what you've chosen to curate from your work is speaking what you need your work to say mm. so that's it it's just be yourself don't be fake don't 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 overthink what uh, another person wants to hear you know you just you just got to put yourself out there and then if somebody goes for it, goes for it. Great. And if it's not a fit, then it wouldn't have been a fit anyway. <laughs> Even if you faked being somebody else, your real self is still in there <laughs> and it's going to come out if you're working with somebody. So yeah, I think that's it. It's like, um, I don't know. I, th yeah, I think there's a tendency in the film industry in cinematography to, foster this kind of mystique about yourself and I don't know to be like too cool for school or I don't know however <laughs> you want to put it but I don't know I, I I a few years ago just embraced not doing that and just sharing my nerdy hobbies on on my Instagram and just just my photography and um my personality and I it's not even a calculated thing it's like I just feel better <laughs> doing that I feel better not hiding <laughs> behind a facade or not creating this like this facsimile of what I think people want to see. That's it. So thanks for listening, and uh, I hope you guys found a, a bit of new inspiration. I hope you guys found just a new sweater <laughs> to put over that anxiety chill that we all get when it's like, fuck, I'm not getting the job, or I haven't worked in months, or uh, how the hell am I ever going to get ahead? Um, I hope we gave you some new nuggets, some new things to hold on to, some new things to think about. And if you're listening to this, this episode and you disagree right? If you think you know more than me, because you probably do, but if you think you know more, write to me, right? Go to uh, Instagram, at Mike Petchy on Instagram. 
and then send me a message. Be like, look, I listened to the new show and I think you're full of shit. Right? Tell me that. I'm totally down. I'm totally down. I am full of shit. (laughs) But I've just got time in. That's why you guys are tuning in. I may be a guy that isn't as talented as you are, but I just got a little bit more time. And if I don't, I'll have someone on the show who does. And I'll learn from that person. Right? And that's what the show's all about. And I hope um, I hope you got some good tips. Um, I really had fun hanging out on this one. And um, as always, please continue to support the show through Instagram. Keep talking about it. But there... You can write to me. Send me your suggestions for episodes. I'm trying right now to get some pretty cool people on the show. I think that, uh, you know, season two has been pretty fucking sweet so far. I think we've had uh, pretty good pretty good guests, a pretty diverse group of folks in and out of here, in and out of our million-dollar recording facility that we have. You know, it's, it's tough. It, I mean... We're going to get bigger and better guests once I finally finish the construction on the helicopter pad on the roof. Right. Well, the Christmas tree will move out of here. But the once the helicopter pad comes in. And the only way I'm going to get that helicopter pad is if you guys are clicking on those sponsor links. That's the only way it's going to happen. And then, you know, maybe then we'll start getting the Tarantinos and shit because I've heard that he just, he only takes his, like James Cameron, only takes his helicopter. It's got to be a big enough helicopter pad for his Blackhawk, too, because he's got to get that Blackhawk on the roof. So, like I said, click those links. Give me a helicopter pad, everybody. Click those links. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, yeah, I really appreciate you guys listening to the show. And um, uh, there's a bunch of other stuff that I would love to plug and love to talk about. But, yeah, I'm not going to bore you with it. Just... Let's wrap up the episode. Let's listen to a little Code Electro. And uh, and as always, go check him out, man. I think it's just CodeElectro.com. Or I'll put his link below. Uh, he's on tour, by the way. He's touring through Europe. So if you go to his website, you can find out where he's playing. And I've had so many of you write to me and tell me how much you love the fact that you're listening to him. I had a guy write to me last night. Thank you for turning me on to Code Electro. Hey, man. I got just as turned on by the dude as you did. All I'm doing is I'm really lucky that I convinced him to let me uh, use his his songs as a soundtrack for the show. Um, and go check him out on tour, like I said. And the cool thing is, is besides getting to hang out with Martin, he's a sweetheart. Uh, you get to hang out with him, see him do his shit. But everything that is being projected behind him, all that stuff was cut by me. So I did all the editing and the creation of the stuff that is playing behind him on tour. And I actually used some of the weird creature effect stuff that weren't used in the movie and built a little music video from 12 cam, all that weird microscopic creature stuff. There's more of that projecting behind him too. So if you're a big fan, go see a live fucking show. Everybody music is more than Spotify. Uh, Go check them out. And um, that's it, man. That's, that's going to be the end of this one. Uh, thank you all for listening and um, as always I'll see you next Tuesday <laughs>